0: Okay, hello, Mr. Butcher. Your 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 microphone is live, I believe. Hello, hello. Hey, Excellent. thank you for joining us. Yeah, sorry about the time mix-up. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. We're just glad, just glad that you could make it. And We're, we, we thought we tried out. Here.
1: We thought we tried out a great talking quote about about authors never being late or early. They arrive precisely when they're meant to. So right. you're
2: right. Oh, okay, right.
0: right, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's good. We got um, we got uh, <clears throat> distracted into like a half hour discussion of the fates of the half elven and everything. So we've we've you know covered a lot of ground already. You know, just, just okay, dig- awesome. Just digressing here. So <laughs> welcome, welcome. Well, thank you so much. We're so glad that you could join us. Certainly. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and uh, as we've uh, been uh, been sharing with our guests here, um, all all three of our co hosts. Let me introduce myself. I'm Corey Olson, uh, who, the host of the podcast, The Tolkien Professor, and uh, the uh, president of the Mythgard Institute in Signum University. And with me are my co hosts, Dave Kale and Trish Lambert, who we've been doing uh, Tolkien themed podcasts for a while. First, Riddles in the Dark, uh, a uh, a series on The Hobbit and the adaptation of The Hobbit, um, both anticipating and then discussing Jackson's adaptation of The Hobbit. And uh, and now we are doing the Silmarillion film project, where we are forecasting a wholly theoretical serial uh, uh, TV adaptation of The Silmarillion. Um which, uh, which has been a great deal of fun. We're going very slowly. So see, in our film project, we have an entire <laughs> season dedicated to... like we're, we're, The whole first season happens before the elves even wake up. So, you know, we're... we're okay. <laughs> really luxurious yeah. timescape. The
1: last episode of season one, the elves wake up. That's right. So that's how... That's how thoroughly we're going into it, <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Yes. Um, so anyway, so just to, to introduce you to our other uh, to our other guests here, um, we've been so excited to talk to you for a while now. Um, I know, you know, I uh, was introduced uh, to the Dresden Files actually by uh, by some of my undergrad students several years back, um, and uh, I think I was. Uh, it was right around when. Changes was about to be released, is I think the time, the point in time at which I discovered the series and I be, began reading it. Um, and I've just been uh, I've been very interested in your work uh, ever since. I've uh, been a big fan of the Dresden Files. I've read all of them several times, and uh, have uh, at have taught one of them in one of my graduate classes uh, at Mythgard um, in my modern fantasy class. We did we did Summer Night. Which was uh, which was a lot of fun. We were doing a a bunch of modern books, especially that were sort of dealing with the treatment of 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 fairy and the fairy other world and sort of the crossing over, um, you know, the boundary between our world and and the world of fairy. So I thought that Summer Night would be a really interesting one to look at in that regard. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun.
1: And that got me hooked. So oh, that's, that's right. My that's
0: that, I, yep. sorry, I forgot that that's how you got introduced to it. Yeah,
1: that's how I got introduced to it. Yeah. Then I read the whole thing.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. Um, so anyway, I was, uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, have lots of, uh, lo- you know, lots of lots of things that I would love to to talk with you about about the Dresden Files and and about your other works as well. I, I'm a, I, I, uh, I really enjoy uh, the Codex Alera as well, which I've, uh, which I've, which I've also read. Um,
1: and I'm halfway through your new book, and, and I must say, sir, you know cats. You <laughs> Thank you very much. Male cats. <laughs> Whoa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if something suddenly happens to be during this, uh, it will probably be because Raul walked across the keyboard. He's, he seems to be <laughs> trying to do uh, Ah,
3: so... So
2: not there's actually he a real life.
1: I love it. Okay. That's great. Yeah, although they came
2: along after the the book did, so. Okay. After the so,
0: book did, I was going to say So you're they, not actually suggesting any any, any any active authorial contributions on the part of the cat then?
2: Um I'm sure they will at some point in the future if you'll need to <laughs> contribute.
0: You have to no, negotiate with their agents yeah. to decide to you know to what extent you need to you know sort of uh, you know give them a a, a byline or or something. Negotiate with cats? <laughs> no, no, they're agents. Know, really. they, they they would I mean, hire human age. underlings to you know to well, do this work for right. them. No, they they pretty much just deliver terms. I mean that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how they operate. Hi, Raul. Okay, I've got, I've got company right now.
1: So. Ah, so he must have known we were talking about him. Yes, yeah, evidently.
4: Yes.
1: Yes. So but I, Jim, yeah, I really um, enjoyed that aspect of it.
4: So Jim, uh, I, by the way I'm I'm Dave, I'm the third co-host. Um, so I was I was intru- I I I need to do this before I forget. I was introduced to your books by my sister Meg, who is listening and tomorrow is her birthday. So if you would wish her a happy birthday, I would be thrilled. <laughs> I'll be happy to. Happy birthday, Meg. Meg has actually met you I think at least once at a reading. I she uh, she was telling me earlier that she she uh, uh, asked you at the time um, whether uh, Dresden's um, past history as a ballroom dance instructor was based on personal experience. Oh, you... Right!
3: I remember that.
2: <laughs> no, unfortunately <laughs> not. I, I, I would like to, but unfortunately not. That's not got, yes. I, I haven't had that experience as yet. Yes, there you probably go. It's not man. one
1: of those recurring questions that you get, right? That's no, probably, it isn't. That's why it would stand out.
2: <laughs> no, I love questions like that that I that I haven't answered a bunch. <laughs>
1: And actually, I'll tell you—that's our goal tonight, too. I said, Corey, and I said, let's let's make sure we're not asking like the usual questions. We don't ask the usual questions. So if, if we, we ask one, you can tell us. Oh, oh shoot. Oh, well, maybe we could just ask the usual questions then. All right, well, I'll,
2: I'll try and I'll, I'll try and uh, crank start the the brain here, and, and that way, just kind of people <laughs> are of uh, yeah, a lot of asking sound.
1: if we're going to see us on screen, and we're just we're just doing audio tonight, folks. We're just kind of. It's going to be an audio stream tonight, so yeah. for those of you looking for the for the video, for video.
4: So, um, what should we dive into first, Corey?
0: Well, no, what- my I I I just I kind of had a question about you know something that I've been thinking about a lot as I was I've uh, I, I, I was um, uh, confessing earlier on here that I uh, am I am a, I am a I, I'm at heart a diehard completionist. Um, so every time you release a new book in the Dresden Files, I feel like I have to go back to the beginning and reread all of the earlier books in he order does. to oh my God. get out. He does. To... Yeah. He does.
1: So, he which listens a... to them, so he listens to
0: them. Which is increasingly burdensome, I have to admit, as the series gets longer <laughs> and longer. <laughs> but, um, but in the course of doing this, in the course of rereading the series, which I've now done several times, I... Um, or I should say, re-listening to them, as I am a, I am a, I am a, a very dedicated audiobook listener, and I absolutely love the Marsters readings of your book. Is um, Marsters' performance of the Dresden Files is like on my, you know, my top three list of all time favorite audiobook performances. So I'm, I'm a. Yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing. He really is. Um, he is good. He really is. But and I just just disco- I mean like I just I just on the air t- like 15 minutes ago discovered that Marstons went back. Marsters w- went back and re-recorded Ghost Story, and, and I'm like, you know, t- having we to keep myself from... We completely lost Corey.
1: Yeah. You uh, went radio silent.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I had <laughs> to go, had to to go download eyes. it. I mean, like, <laughs> one cannot delay such a thing. I mean, that's like the best news I've had. Anyway. Uh, well, I was
2: really surprised they got him to. Yeah. I mean, he's the most high, he's the most highly paid actor in Hollywood right now, so the fact that he took his time to go Is he too, really?
3: Yeah, he actually is. Wow. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, he was, he was last year's most highly paid actor. And uh, uh, the fact that wow. he would take the time to go back and do that speaks to uh, uh, either either Audible just really, 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 really wanted it to happen, or he just got enough feedback from his fans that he kind of did it more or less as an act of love. I'm pretty sure we can't afford uh, to pay him what he's worth at this point.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right? no, not, awesome. not
2: if he's number
1: that take, one. That's even more impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really awesome. He um, must really love the books. Uh, he seems to have enjoyed them, yeah. 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 Well, he certainly does. He certainly. I mean, of course, you can never tell. A really, really good actor, of course, could fake it. But, but still, no. I mean, he he, he does really seem to um, oh, yeah. to he to get into to. it. It's hard to imagine. That's
3: what makes
1: it an enjoyable. Yeah. Enjoyable.
0: Hard to imagine he could do without that. But um, uh, but you know the 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 one of the thoughts that I was you know really interested to 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 kind of talk about a little bit, thinking through you know sort of the the overarching span of 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 the series, especially the Justin File series, being the one that has both gone on longest in real world time, you know, that is the one you started writing longest ago. um, And also of course, just containing more volumes than any of the other things that you've done. You know, I'm a Tolkien guy that's what I do you know so of course I can't help but think of all the comments that Tolkien made in particular about the process of writing the Lord of the Rings you know there's of course that famous letter um, you know wherein he says uh, you know that he you know talks about how how he had no idea where things were going and you know how you know frodo meets the this strange man and the in it Bree and he has no idea who he is or what he might have to do in the story but he figures he's gotta you know figure something out with that and um, you know the way that persistently Tolkien's language, whenever he talks about it, um, in his letters, especially those letters that he wrote to fans, you know, in the, in the immediate sort of aftermath of, of the publication of the Lord of the Rings, you know, he's constantly speaking as if he didn't write it, but as if he sort of discovered it and really didn't know where it was going. And, and, you know, it just kind of unfolded sort of to his surprise and delight as much as to anybody else's, um, and uh, you know there there are, there are certainly parts of, of the Dresden Files that as you know that I can say as a reader kind of feel that way you know sort of you know there are there are things that you can see that you know get linked back and and, and you do a really great job of that um, but I just kind of wonder about you know do, is, is that you know do, do you have experience like that when you're when you're writing or you know do you, how 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 much do you plan out in advance? how much have you always planned out in advance I'm just sort of wondering um what your process is
2: um uh I'm tempted to, to pull a Felicia Day here and be like I don't discuss my process
1: it's <laughs> uh. plus this might be one of those usual questions we promised not to ask but oh okay, well. it's okay it's okay
2: um <laughs> uh, always, when I when I sit down to write a book, I always know where I'm going to start it. I always know where it's going to finish up. I usually know a big flashy part in the middle that would ta- that would have a really high special effects budget if it was a <laughs> right. uh, if it was a movie. Right. Um, and then I'll, I know like yeah. half a dozen one liners yeah. that I will have come up with that I want to use. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, so just, just a half a dozen times of Dresden being a wise ass that I have right. found, you know, between the last book and this oh, one. Excellent. Right. Um, right. Yeah, but then after that. Uh, uh, basically, it's it's you know I kind of know generally where I'm going, uh, uh, but I kind of I kind of compare it to you know drive for, driving from Kansas City to Los Angeles. You know, I mean I I know that I would start off going on I seventy west and I would stay on I seventy and always be going kind of westward and a little bit southward, uh, but I don't necessarily know all the highways between here and Los Angeles, right? Uh, so I would have to kind of work that out as I went along. Uh, and and I mean, you know, I know that I would have to st- I would probably go through Denver at some point uh, 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 but uh, other than that you know, I don't know what would happen um, so it's much like that when writing a book I've, I've got the general shape of kind of the overall story, I, I know more or less where the history of the Dresden Files universe is going but the specific road that it takes to get there is something that is, that uh, shifts and changes based on the choices that characters make and um, the big one that I that I that I like to, to mention when I talk about this kind of thing is was in changes
3: mm-hmm. where
2: uh, I put basically I put Harry's back to the wall to where he had to make a deal with somebody,
3: right. uh,
2: In order to be able in order to be to go to go save his daughter and the question was who's he going to make a deal with because he could have gone one of, of of three different ways more or less he could have taken right. one of three different paths, and. You know, the, the, the Dresden Files universe that happens when Harry chose to take the, the, the Word of Kemmler's path and to cause a giant ecological disaster to become a mighty necromancer um, is a very different world than the one uh, where he decided to take up Lashiel's coin and use that power to go save his daughter. Then, then is different from the one where he made his deal with Mab. Right. And I wasn't sure which way he was going to break when I was coming up onto that book, and it would have uh, mandated very different story choices going uh, along the different paths. Uh, yeah. uh, but he, he took the one that, that, that I felt that he, uh, uh, made the most sense for his character and who he was and the state of mind he was in at the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, uh, and, so, and that's the story that we've had so far. But it would have been a very different story if he made a different choice, uh, and that would have been kind of cool.
4: That's pretty. That's a pretty intriguing notion that you didn't. You didn't sort of a priori know which one he would choose. Um, That 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 yeah. That opens up all kinds of interesting possibilities. I I never considered that. I
2: I knew I wanted to put him in that sit to put his back against that wall and force him to make that choice. uh, But I didn't know which one it was going to be as I was putting as I was actually writing it.
1: (laughs) You were kind of like the first reader, right? So yeah, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was. And I wasn't sure. I mean, that was kind. Of, that's kind of cool, actually, because you not knowing that then allowed me to also be c- totally in the dark about where which direction he would go with it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and, and, and so that's... a lot of
2: the story has got to be something that grows on its own. There's got to be a certain element of organic, yes. uh, of right. kind of organic development to it, or it's not a living story. Um, uh, so yeah. So while I know kind of the overall shape of where things are going. I don't really know exactly what we're going to, what bumps we're going to hit in the road on the way there, or what detours we might be taking uh, before we get to that point.
1: Now, I assume this, this is true with the Codex Alera series, for example, although that's much more creative uh, in its true form. So is it, the same more or less true with that as well? I mean, a general arc, but but kind of, you know, not knowing all the signposts
3: along the way?
2: Uh, I knew a little bit better with Codex Alera because I was working with a mythology that was essentially much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
3: uh, right. Right. You know,
2: so I mean, with the Dresden Files, I'm trying to incorporate so many different things that when I see something bright and shiny, I go, "Ooh, oh, we definitely need to have that." Oh, you're very
3: welcome. Um,
2: uh, but I, from the very beginning, I've always tried to have a very inclusive. I've always tried to think not why does this not work in my world, but how can this be incorporated into the world? It was designed to be a world that, that embraced you know, every mythology that I could possibly find. Um, yes. And yeah. If there's some that haven't fit in there yet, it's because I don't know enough about them to, to, to write about them. <laughs> it's not because they don't exist in the Dresden Files world. <laughs>
3: right. But stay right. tuned,
1: right? In other words, like as soon as you learn about them, we'll see them. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, uh, we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, I've got all these story elements. I really need to, uh, to, to make sure I'm, I'm careful with these threads at this point so that yeah. I can close the whole thing out uh,
3: yeah. appropriately.
2: But then there's always like, spin off stuff right. and, and, and alternate point of view stuff. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no the uh, it's it's one of the things that's really fun about especially the first half of the well, I say half, you know, the pre-changes uh books in the Dresden Five no, series. Oh, totally
2: the first half. I mean, yeah. Yeah. From from a from a storytelling uh a story craft standpoint, that's the first half of the story, yeah.
0: Right. Well, it's it's you know that that really fun element where almost every book introduces a new thing, right? So, you know, so you get werewolves, vampires, you know, ghosts, vampires, fairies, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 in, 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 yeah, demons, right, exactly, in each of the different uh, books as you go along. And it's, it's, you know, the, the sort of cumulative effect of that um, was one of the things that I really enjoyed about sort of being able to explore these different things, and then sort of seeing them coming together in really interesting ways. I thought that was really cool.
2: Uh, uh, and that was, that was a great deal of fun for me, trying to make it all happen. Uh, uh, but a lot of these things, it's like, oh my god, how am I going to juggle all this stuff in? I know I want to have Santa Claus in there. Oh wait, I can totally, I can totally crosswire Santa Claus with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and those are things That's that uh, I like to call that creative uh, creative laziness as a writer, where you're uh, you're doing everything you can to try and tie as many threads together into into one point, so that you know you can use it more effectively for the story, uh, but also so that. Uh, 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 so that you, you you know, so that you can bring more elements in. Right. Uh, but yeah, I I enjoy it when I can when I can find something and kind of compile it and be like, okay, good. Now we've got this thing right here.
0: Right, right, cool, very cool.
1: And and I assume Cinder Spires then is much more like Codex Alera. You've got a contained world with a particular. Uh, set of physics to it and whatnot, right? So it's, it's 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 similar in that regard. I mean, it's not similar in any other regard, but as, as storytelling goes. Uh,
2: yes and no. It's, it's a much broader uh, – I had a much broader world uh, kind of in mind as I was putting it together. Um, the first book we've really – we've only seen – I mean, this is the first book is, is where we're starting out at home, like kind of Inspire Albion.
3: Uh, and, right.
2: But we're only seeing this one society, and we're only seeing this one society's take on the world. Uh, uh, so, you know, while while this place is a is very much a uh, you know kind of a, a uh, Victorian England sensibility sort of location, not everywhere is is set up like that. But we're sort of experiencing it through through those eyes because that's all these people are from there, and most of them are kids that have always been there, or or else they're stalwarts that are are, are emblematic of that society. Uh, but the fun comes when we start throwing those people into, into uh, wild new environments and seeing what happens. Um, oh,
3: okay.
2: uh, so the next one, I mean, the next one is going to be set, is called The Olympian Affair, and it's going to be set in Spire Olympia, which is much more of a colonial United States sort of place. Uh, it's much more freewheeling and, and, and uh, uh, kind of uh, bursting with joie de vie uh, uh, right. and, and, and enterprise. And, uh, uh it's going to be a very different environment for those characters. So they're going to be, you know, it'll be a very shocking place for them to go. So it'd be and, and, in the sense oh, of having
0: wow, okay. the society be less hierarchical and aristocratic and that kind of thing as well, I assume. Yeah, exactly. Right. And,
2: and, you know, how do people that come from this other society where they're used to all this structure, you know, get along, uh, when they're when they're suddenly in a very different one, uh, so that's going to be, you know, that's going to be part wow. of what I'm doing. Uh, um, and 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 you know, each of these spires that has grown up because the uh, the world is is, is essentially it's a, it's it's prohibitively dangerous to live on the surface, so you've got to live in one of these spires. And each spire is kind of a very insulated culture of its own, and they've grown up very very differently. Uh, so you know, we're kind of we're kind of doing a. Uh, 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 kind of an odyssey like thing where we're going from island to island, and each one is gets to be very a very very different place than the last one.
1: Right. Interesting. That's cool. Hell, it keeps you interested, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: Because there, I can always think of crazy new stuff.
1: Uh, uh, right. W- yeah. Well, what
2: about the spire where everyone went insane? Yeah, that's a good place to have. It. <laughs> let us let us head straight through the glass and go to go to that spire. You know, like that. So right,
3: cool.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right.
3: Very well, cool. That's interesting. Very cool.
1: Should we shift to, to one of the big questions people have been asking about, which is um, getting into the adaptation?
0: Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Please do. What? So, so to,
1: yeah. so to broach to broach that subject,
4: Jim. Um, uh, I said that my sister introduced me to your books, but in fact, in fact, my first introduction to your work—I uh, don't know whether I don't know whether I'm proud or ashamed to admit this—was the TV series. Get off the internet right now. <laughs>
3: no more no, internet for you.
2: <laughs> no, no, that's fine. There was all kinds of people uh, that the first time they they. they Got into, introduced to my work was on the TV show, and, uh, and quite I mean, frankly, my audience I, tripled over the over the course of like three months. Yeah, uh, like so it was well, it was most, most of the people who got into, at least heard about it through the TV show.
4: Yeah, and and honestly, I I actually really enjoyed the series. Um, I, I, after I read the books um, and really start really appreciated the story, my my um, enjoyment of the TV series went down, but. Um, <laughs> But don't feel too bad. That's the that was also the pattern with Tolkien stuff. I hadn't read when I when I first watched the Peter Jackson Fellowship of the Ring. I hadn't read Lord of the Rings in a while, so I really liked it. Then I went back and reread the books, and then my enjoyment took a nosedive. So <laughs> it's more in a, it's more an appreciation for the original source material. But um, but but that was that's definitely a uh, the that I think that series is a, a nice illustration of the. The perils and challenges that one faces in adapting these kinds of stories for the screen, especially when you have different kinds of constraints. Um, oh God, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you if you'd like to sort of kick off our um, our adaptation uh, discussion with um,
1: some. Yeah. So my open-ended general... question oh. is: So what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, uh. To be okay. To be completely upfront. Uh, with the studio itself, with sci-fi itself, um, I had very little standing. Uh, I had absolutely no contractual uh, authority over anything that was happening. Um, after they got my, my signature, I was basically completely ignored by the studio because I wasn't important anymore. Uh, uh, those guys didn't even count me a copy of the DVDs. <laughs> oh, my man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh but but uh, uh the guy who was actually running the show who was actually the one who was on site getting everything done uh was robert wolf uh, uh robert wolf i was uh you, he you may know him from uh star trek deep space 9 yep uh, he was the originator oh, right. of the entire okay. uh you know the entire arc with the with the founders and so on um mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I managed to strike up a conversation with him, and because he and I were both uh, kind of Roman history buffs and D and D nerds, uh, uh, we kind of we kind of got we kind of got off on the right foot, and I, I very much enjoyed talking to Robert. So I actually did have uh, considerable influence on the show, although none of it was uh, uh, solid. It was all uh, it was all because uh, Robert got on with me, and he really liked the books, and he really wanted to do a good job with the books. Um, as far as the show itself went. Uh, I really think that the, that the crew that was working on and the people that were there working on the show uh, uh, did absolutely the best job they could possibly have done given the limitations they were handed by the studio often at the last minute. Uh, uh, for example, the show was originally going to be uh, a serial uh, where they were going to take the events of the first two Dresden Files novels and kind of interweave them. Uh, mm-hmm. and then kind of have this big, crazy uh, climax at the end that would have had, you know, the Shadow Man and the Luke Grew and, and all kinds of uh, <laughs> insanity. <laughs> oh goodness.
3: Because
0: Which the loop Grew been...
2: wasn't enough, right? You know, yeah. yeah, I thought that was, that was cool. But then two weeks before they started shooting, they got they appointed a new guy to be in charge of it who had just come over from Charmed, and the first thing that he said to Robert, they told, they told Robert, okay, he's going to be in charge of the show from Los Angeles while you shoot it in Toronto. Um, so you can imagine, uh, <laughs> yeah, right from the get-go, you kind of imagine, oh, is that what happened? Um, and then, uh, uh two weeks before they started shooting, they told Robert, okay, we're not going to do a serial, because nobody likes serials. Uh, th- those, those aren't all successful. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Um, who would watch that? Like serials, <laughs> I mean, so we're just
2: going to do episodes, and then, uh, uh and so the, 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 the TV yeah. folks got, you know, the people who were actually working on it got to turn to them and say, but... But, but, but there's not enough time to rewrite everything to be single episodes. Oh, don't worry about it. Just change people's characters' names, and we'll, we'll, we'll do them all out of order, and it'll be fine.
3: <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh.
2: Um, oh, my so, gosh. So that's why we had the show came out a very, very different creature uh, with a completely different feel than the books, because uh, essentially the crew was, was scrambling to get things done at the last minute. Uh, uh, you know, they would often get uh, script changes that would get handed to them from, uh, turned in uh, by the appropriate 9 p.m. time, uh, Los Angeles time, but 9 p.m. Los Angeles is midnight in in Toronto, and so mm-hmm. by the time people got called, it was 1 a.m., so people were getting calls at 1 a.m. and stuff like you know, it would be stuff to like Terrence Mann. Hey, Terry, I know you were gonna go home to see your family for the first time in three weeks in New York, but uh, instead, we need you to be uh, uh, getting into makeup in three hours. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, so, uh, they were faced with a host Gosh. of challenges that you just you really don't think about when you're uh, when you're just kind of a viewer. Uh, uh, and that I would never have considered if I hadn't actually been present because I would I was actually uh, go up and visit the set occasionally and, and, and get to see what they were doing and actually get to talk to people and see them working. Um, so, I mean, all in all, I was very, very pleased with, with, with the people who were on the set doing the job. Uh, they were doing the absolute best they could do. Uh, right. but they were being handed a bunch of limits from, from you know, uh, uh, back in L.A. that were not necessarily, to my way of seeing it, the best thing for the show.
0: Right. 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 Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, one of the things that I talked about a lot... When we were talking about the Jackson's Hobbit adaptation, was you know one of the things, of course, that I deal with talking about Tolkien stuff and Tolkien adaptations is you know the the sort of purists, you know, people who when they go to see a movie, they're they're, they're looking for basically just the book on screen, right, as much as possible, just just um, you know, and 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 dislike any you know any deviation from the story or from the character as it's as it's written in the book. Um, so you know, one of the things that I always t- have been talking about is sort of thinking about you know the difference between um, you know attempting to do that, attempting to simply transform the book into a visual medium, which I don't think is really plausible and doesn't usually work out very well when people try to do that, um, and 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 actually doing an adaptation where you're really sort of taking taking the story and kind of you know and and uh, you know the, the the directors and the the producers really making it their own and 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 doing their own story. And this is why I you know th- there were many things about certainly about the conception of the Hobbit films that I really liked and I really enjoyed for this reason. Um, but, you know, the thing about the Dresden Files show is that it kind of seemed to me like it was neither of those things, right? It was, it was neither a transmission onto the screen of what was in the books or really kind of, you know, making it its own. But the, your, your story there seems to me, w- would seem to me to sort of explain that, that they really, they really, it, yeah. it didn't really have an identity in that way, right?
2: Exactly, because they didn't have time to. Yeah, uh, With only two weeks to, to change things around, I mean, they were just scrambling. I mean, at that point, you know, with, with two weeks to go until you start shooting, there are already uh, uh, you know costumes being made, props being made, art being right. done, sets being built, and you, you can't just stop that and throw it all away. Uh, so suddenly, you're, you're handed this creative challenge with a much more limited set of variables than you had a moment ago. Uh, uh, and... That was not very good for the for for the program. I think, um, but you know we'll see. I mean, it's it's possible that we'll get a reboot. It's possible we'll get something else uh, uh, being done in the future.
1: Oh, um, oh, now yeah. you're just teasing us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this Ooh. how how would you how would you like it to be done? I mean, is it the kind of thing that you would like to see, or would you you know is that is it something that you would consider? You know, sort of a from an artistic standpoint, a kind of a necessary evil. Is it? Is it the kind of thing you'd get excited about? You know, doing or having a hand in? Well, to a degree, when you're when you're writing something, it, you know,
2: I mean that, that that material and those characters are that, that's my baby. But when you want it to go to a screen, when you want it to go to somewhere else, you have to understand that your baby's got to go off to boarding school, and there's going to be a certain amount of control that you have to let go of. Uh, and I'm much more okay with that than I would have been in the past. But at the same time, if I if I make a deal again. Uh, I'm sort of in a position where I can now say, you know what, if you want my stuff, then you can you can take me along as a creative consultant. Right. And I actually, want, yeah. I, don't, I don't want just a credit. I want to come work and help me make it as good as it could possibly be. Right. Uh, so for the I I mean, future, for, for that's what... Okay.
1: I, if it gets rebooted, can we have a blonde Murphy next time around, please? <laughs> you know, I'm people complained
2: about her, but now. she was the only one on this set who had actually read all the books. She was like a total <laughs> fan. She was girl. good. She was... She was awesome. She, you
1: know, I gotta say, I, as she was really awesome. She was awesome. I, oh, okay. I will say that. I just, you know,
0: but I it's, just thought.
3: I mean, because
1: Murphy is very clearly described in the book, so I it just was, was true.
0: Yeah. One of the trends <laughs> of, the, of that show was like nobody looked right, like visually, everyone was. I mean, Harry was too short. Murphy wasn't blonde. I just, yeah, it was. That was tough. You're young. Oh. Good luck finding a, a six foot nine actor to do
4: that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was going to say, um, Jim, do you how important do you think details like that are, to, or at least how important are they to you in an adaptation? Because you say, as you say, it's going to be really tough to find an actor to do that. And you might, and on the one hand, you might think like, ah, it's not that important. But on the other hand, there are multiple points throughout the series where his height actually plays a Relatively important role in events, or at least at times. Um, but I sure. think, um, you know, I'm just curious what what your thoughts on that. Another example would be like in the in the previous series, um, the choice to make Bob the Skull into like a humanoid figure, which was given the you know how crappy special effects were at that time, is kind of an understandable decision. Um,
2: I don't know. Uh, what right, do you think? Right. Um, for me, it is not important uh, uh, that. Uh, the exterior is necessarily as right as long as they get the soul of the character right
3: Mm. Um,
2: Paul Blackthorn did not look in any way like Harry Dresden uh, the way I imagined it but he could pull off Harry Dresden pretty well in the actual Um, acting fun side note
1: yeah I agree with that that's true yeah
2: Fun side note to that, the the other guy that came down to the finalists between Paul Blackthorne, uh, the other guy was Adam Baldwin, Jane from Firefly. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, and he oh was my other,
3: goodness. He oh. was
2: the other possible Harry Dresden. And basically they came to a choice of, do we want Harry Dresden who's going to get beat up more and kind of be this this, this durable bulldog because Baldwin can he can take a beating really well. And that's so they would have been beating him up a lot more on the show if they'd gone <laughs> with him. Uh, Or do we want, and they ended up going with Blackthorn because they thought he could pull off this, well, maybe I'm going to go over to the dark side vibe a little bit better. Uh, 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 So they they kind of wanted that balance for the character. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's really interesting to hear this. I didn't hear about this until much later, you know, so... Interesting. Uh, Interesting. But anyway, what? as as long as they got the, as long as they get the heart of the character right, I really don't care. I mean for example, I think Will Smith could be an awesome Harry Dresden if for no other reason than he just has that unstoppable ability to be insouciant to absolutely the wrong person. <laughs>
3: right. and,
2: and that's critically important to Harry Dresden as a character <laughs> Right. Yes.
3: The
2: that's insouciance
1: true.
0: he could do. I could yes. Do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I could totally see Will Smith delivering some of the lines that Harry has said. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean it would be wonderful. Yeah. I mean and then he doesn't look like anything like Harry in the books. I
2: don't care about that. Uh, uh, I care that they've yeah, got the characters have the same heart and soul. Uh, that's what matters to me.
0: Now, what would be your prefer if if you could choose? What what would be your preferred medium? Would would you like to do the this the, the sort of the serial T V series?
2: Um Okay, in a perfect world, and this is in my ideal world, uh, and not necessarily the real world, but in Jim's fantasy world, where I get to control everything that happens, um, uh, it would be a a feature production series uh, probably done by somebody like Netflix. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: I really dig that Netflix has got a more patient viewpoint on, on producing stuff. Uh, that they don't feel that they have to have instant results right now, now, now. You know that they're that they're willing to invest uh, a little bit of time in a in, in a series and give it a chance to take off. Um, uh, and, and I think that that might be a, a really, really strong thing for this uh, for the Dresden Files, which does start off uh, kind of small and a little bit slower and then build up uh, to you know frantic world-crashing things uh, that'll happen. I mean, that's that's one of the fun things I, I've really enjoyed, because each time I write a new book, I get to may, be a little bit crazier and a little bit uh, uh, more outrageous with what Harry's got to deal with. Uh, uh, you know, because I, I know where we're going. I kind of know where we're going to end up. So it's like, oh yeah, this is the book where I get to do this insane thing. Um, I, I loved it. At the end of Changes, my editor called me and was all, oh my god, oh my god, what have you done?
0: And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, now we get to do the cool stuff. That's right. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We just destroyed everything. So now.
3: Now
2: we get to do the cool stuff, trust me.
3: (laughs) Uh, Okay.
2: I don't know, Jim. (laughs) All right.
1: That's
3: great. So
1: I would imagine then that you are, um, you take a very, um, what's the word? Well, I should say that, but you're, I would imagine your your views of Jackson's adaptations of Tolkien then are are informed, having kind of been through this experience, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, how how do you think he did? Oh, actually, well, there were two. I mean, The Lord of the Rings, I suppose, separately from The Hobbit. Yeah, very much separately um,
2: from The Hobbit. Yes. <laughs> 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 Lord, Lord of the Rings. Very uh,
1: interesting response. <laughs> Lord of the
2: Rings, I, I, I thought was probably done as well as any adaptation I've ever seen. Um, while there are there are some things to nitpick, I, I wasn't terribly uh, uh, upset about anything, except maybe the magical scrubbing bubbles that saved Gondor. Uh, uh, right. Uh, the, yep. That scene, I was a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> seriously, you play that and watch it, and I, I just I keep thinking magical scrubbing bubbles cleanse Gondor of evil. Well, yes. Uh, uh, but even so, uh, um, uh, you know, even even with that, um, I was pleased overall with how they did it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I could take issue with kind of how they treated uh, uh, the King of Rohan. Um, I, I didn't think that they gave him a fair shake or, or showed him as kind of the character he was meant to be. Um, uh, but other than that, you know, there, just a few kind of small things. Overall, they did a pretty good job with it, and and I think they did the critical things really, really well. Uh, uh, I think it was a, a really good choice to invest so much in creating Gollum as a as you know, at the time, the state of the art animated character. Uh, uh, you know, we'd never seen anything like that before, and that was that was that was amazingly well done. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, as far as we get to the Hobbit, I think. The Hobbit is, uh, th- that series of films is butter spread over too much bread. It really is.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the main sort of conclusion I feel like we came to with The Hobbit films was just that our, our primary disappointment, not that he departed from uh, Tolkien's books, so much, but the, the 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 problem seemed to be that he sort of, the, the story itself lost its own way, we, and we didn't mind that he was, you know, going beyond yeah. the book, but that, yeah, you Bilbo know...
2: Bilbo wound up sitting on the bench of his own story for way too much of it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and, and, and with oh, the yeah, caliber that's... of the actor... With the caliber of the actor they had in Morgan Freeman, I just thought that was, a, that
0: was just a damn shame because yeah. he is so good. Martin Freeman was fantastic. Oh. I mean, Morgan really, Freeman? Yeah. Martin
1: Freeman. Martin Freeman. Martin yeah. Freeman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. He he was fantastic. I mean, I agree. It was absolutely everything about... Uh, I mean, I loved his performance. Um the riddles in the dark sequence was fantastic. Oh my god, that was beautiful. Yes. Was that was that not um, one of the? I was I watched that in my nerd heart. With oh yes, yay!
3: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, me too. Um, it me is. Too.
0: It is. It's like the one caveat I always have to give. You know, people are like oh, the Hobbit movies were a complete disaster, and I'm like, not a complete disaster. They did the riddles in the dark scene really, really well. Um, yeah, yeah. That was I don't
1: thought the unexpected party was good. I mean, I thought that you know, that was that's probably my second favorite after the riddles in the dark
3: scene.
0: It was good, yeah. I mean, it was, it was it was it was it was less sublime, I think, but it was definitely. I mean, it was yeah. it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely not yeah. well, a disappointment. Well, and part, like
3: so of, it, and part of, it. of it,
1: part of the reason that I liked it so much was, was Freeman, especially the next morning when he wakes up. The whole you know we talked about that in the podcast. You know, the whole part after he wakes up and the and the dwarves are gone, and we literally see his whole change of mind completely in silence. Yes, all by body language and facial yeah, expression yeah, it was really yeah. good.
2: Yeah, I, I remember reading something about uh, 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 Ian McKellen talking about uh, Martin Freeman and about how he was the most amazing actor he'd ever seen. This is Ian McKellen saying this <laughs> right. uh, because every time he did, he would he would you know do a take, it would come off sounding you know looking and sounding completely natural as if this was something that was just happening, uh, you know not not a piece of theater but something that was actually happening in real life, and he could do it every single time. And uh, uh, and Ian, uh, I remember you know, reading about how he was just so amazed that anybody could have that kind of skill. And you know, this is a guy that's been knighted because he's a good actor. You know, so <laughs> right. I figure he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But then and then back to what you said, which is there just wasn't enough screen time for for him. You know, The Hobbit didn't get to be on. I mean, like um, the ending was seems so abrupt. You know, we didn't get a funeral. We didn't get really much interaction. Bilbo basically just says ta ta, you know, and they're off back to the Shire again. And um, we were kind of disappointed about that and the choices that got made. You know, where there could have been some more screen time on some other pieces of the story, you know, at the expense of some other pieces that weren't really necessarily, you know, crucial to the to the arc.
3: Yeah, I think we I I think we had to have
2: I think there was too much uh, uh, effort uh, put on the ensemble cast when really this was a story about mostly about Bilbo and Gandalf.
0: Mm-hmm. right right yeah well i mean you know you can see tolkien himself making that choice i mean if you go back and you look at tolkien's earlier drafts of it and the way that he revised it as he was you know, going from his drafts to publication, one of the things that he plainly does is reduces the amount of participation by the dwarves. Like the dwarves weren't right. always as faceless as they became. I mean, most you know, a larger percentage of the dwarves got more dialogue, and as he revised it, he kept reducing and reducing the number of dwarves we actually heard from. Till in the end, it was you know, it was Thorin, Balin. Uh, Dory, who is the guy who was always carrying him, and Bomber for comic relief, and almost nobody else ever gets a line—you know, one or two lines in one or two places from some people.
2: Right. I mean, they get mentions, but they're—they're they're very clearly they you know know—they're—they're they're the, they're the troop. Yes. Uh,
0: they're, you know,
2: they're—they're they're kind of the Greek chorus in the, in the background. You know.
0: Right exactly and that was you know and again it's you know you can see Jackson talked about what a problem that was right you know and of course I can see it's one of the difficulties in trans in transforming it from a book to a visual medium you can't exactly have a whole bunch of like faceless guys who get no dialogue standing around and and just kind of fall you know just to be like like the Greek chorus literally following them around and 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 you know chanting in unison that's not going to work right um, on screen so I can I can understand Jackson's impulse to say I want to make all 13 of the dwarves individual and identifiable and having a, a, you know, recognizable personality, um, you know, and with like many of them with their own little, you know, plot threads and things. It's a very understandable choice, but, but I agree. It really does diffuse the, you know, the overall story and the, the, the attention of the audience. Yeah, I
2: agree.
4: Um, uh, Jim, so uh, a question my relayed um, by, via, through me from my sister regarding adaptations, um, <laughs> which I'm going to generalize. She wanted to know for for future potential adaptations of Dresden Files or other things that you've made. Um, how like like do you want to? Would you want to write the actual screenplay adaptations yourself, or, oh, or is that a job? Oh partner.
2: that'd be awful. <laughs> Uh, I learned that when I started tr- when I started trying to write a comic book script. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, comic books. And and, uh, uh, and I wrote the script for the first uh, for the first graphic novel we did, which was called Welcome to the Jungle.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: uh, you know, and I, I still remember getting feedback, you know, from the from from the various people that are the professionals I was working with, and you know, they'd be like, Jim, uh, these characters are talking an awful lot here. I'm like, Yeah, th- they can't talk that much. Why not? Well, because if they have this much dialogue, there won't be any room left for a picture, and then it'll just be a novel and not a graphic novel. <laughs> and, and part of me, and, and, and part of the you know the pouty childish part of me is like, I don't see the problem. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I had to start acknowledging. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm working with these other people, and I had I had given you know much much too strict directions on, on how I wanted the art done and so on. And uh, uh, you know, and, and when you work with an artist, uh, uh, you know, and other creative people, it turns out they want to be creative too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to have to to be able to give other people that kind of freedom to express their own uh, creativity. You know, so they bring their own joy to the project. Because uh, if you don't, you, you, I mean, it, it, you can wind up with you know just the most robotic stuff. Uh, right. But so in the future, I mean, I mean, I don't think I would want to be the guy writing that screenplay. Because I don't think I would have as much, uh, uh, you know, I I don't think I would have the skill uh, and necessarily the the presence and focus of mine, because that has never been an interest of mine. Writing screenplays, Um, I would want to be the guy who would go through, you know, do the read through on the screenplay and say, "Hey, uh, this seems really out of character for for this person. Can we can we change that? You know, can we change this? Um, Or hey." uh, I think you're missing a spot. You're missing a chance for a good joke here, and, and maybe can you think about something like this? Uh, but as far as the, as actually laying out the structure, I think a, a professional screenwriter is 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 going to be more able to do it than I am. I, I, I want to help that guy. I, I would want to help that guy or, or girl make the the best possible screenplay we, we that could possibly be be done. Uh, but I'm not the right guy to, to lay the, to lay down that foundation. Uh, I'll just be happy to you know consult on on on. Making the filigree and, and balustrades cooler. Right, that
4: makes sense. That seems to be. i, I We don't know a whole lot about um, what J.K. Rowling's role in the Harry Potter films has been, but they, it seems to sound. It sounds reminiscent of what you've described, which is she really has trusted Steve Kloves, you know, the screenwriter, to to do his job, and it's given him a lot of space to adapt and change things. But but has made herself available for i assume notes and sanity checks and
2: things like that yeah exactly and, and you've got to you know you, you've got to be able to trust other people who are professionals uh, to be able to to perform their craft probably mm-hmm. better than you can since you haven't learned their craft
4: mhm right do you um you yeah. know so tolkien in his letters expresses a lot of uh, a lot of like Sort of, he's very skeptical that Lord of the Rings, or at least parts of the Lord of the Rings, can be adapted in any way. You know that there are certain things that just couldn't possibly be successful on screen. Do you? Are there? Are, is, can you think of any examples in your in your um, books of things where you wrote a certain you, you you put something in there and you love it, but you just can't imagine it ever being successfully adapted on screen? So, like, let's say, do you have a do you have a Tom Bombadil in there anywhere? Oh. <laughs>
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's probably lots of stuff that would that would that would get shrugged off. Uh, uh, you know, should it should it go to screens again? Um, in in particular, it'd be tough to do the stuff with the animals uh, mm-hmm. uh, because animals tend to steal the the show. Um, uh, whenever you have them on, you always have to be careful with animals and children because they tend to upstage everyone. Um,
1: so you mean like Mister and and yeah, uh,
2: Mister and Mouse might be hard to do. Uh, they actually. They actually had a Mister for uh, the Dresden Files, and he, you only you can only see him in the pilot, uh, and he sort of hangs out and, and Harry pets him a couple of times. But he was this giant cat that they had trained, and he only knew one trick, and that trick was sit on this piece of newspaper. But he was like really really good at it; he could do it all day. <laughs> um, so he was like he was like a professional actor cat, and that was that was what he could do. Uh, but. Uh, but you didn't really see him you didn't really see him come into the you know into, into the series very much uh, I think they mentioned him once in a while you know I've got to I've got to earn kibble for mister or something like that um, uh, but the animals would be tough to do I think soul gazes would be tough to do mm. uh, oh, as, yeah. in, as anything other than something completely hallucinogenic uh, which is not it's it's hardly ever something that I enjoy uh, uh, seeing when I'm when I'm watching things so I don't know if I don't know how doable that would be Mm-hmm. Um I mean, but other than that, I mean, it's just a matter of being able to express it uh, uh, you know in, in a different means, and, and and when there are people who are applying their their creativity and their brilliance, uh, uh, I'm sure that there's an awful lot that could get done. and a lot of cool things that maybe aren't so cool in the book that would be totally awesome uh, 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 on the movie that I haven't thought of because I'm not the person who thinks that way. Right. right, right. Um,
1: now, I actually have a really important question. I, are you still wanting to ask about Dresden adaptation? Because I wanted to get back to The Hobbit for just a second. No, 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 no.
4: Go ahead. Go
2: ahead.
1: I wanted to ask a really important adaptation question about The Hobbit. What did you think of the Rankin-Bass Hobbit? <laughs>
2: Of the Rankin Bass
3: Hobbit, oh, that was it
2: had music. How can you not sing "Where There's a Whip"? There's uh, a I mean, how, how can you get that song out of your head?
0: Their songs are the best, absolutely, oh, except for the so theme much. song of the Rankin Bass Hobbit. The rest uh, of uh, their, I mean, yeah, they nailed the Twa'la La La song. I'm a
2: shock to see Glorfindel, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or not Glorfindel, but uh, um, uh, the, 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 uh, now I can't think of his name. But the Elven King. Thranduil.
0: Oh, Thranduil, yes, yes. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I had to stop oh, the thing, gosh. Party King Thranduil. Thranduil, that's what it is. What it is. <laughs> um but was yeah, like, where'd
1: they get him from? <laughs> yeah, the, the elves, the, I
2: mean, the elves were like these horrible, shriveled up looking things uh, in that one. Uh, I was sort of hoping for more LV elves, uh, but we didn't really get that.
1: We, uh, uh, if ever we want to torture Corey, we just start singing that Glenn Yarbrough song.
0: Well,
2: oh, my
3: gosh, yeah.
0: That's my <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, boy. His, that whole style, you know. Yeah, well, and I, I think that Trish was deliberately baiting me when she was referring to the end of The Hobbit, and she just... Gratuitously used the word ta "tata," uh, which, of course, she knows well to be my <laughs> least favorite moment in the entire Rankin Bass Hobbit film. Because, of course, you know you you remember how how, how how gorgeous and how how soulful and how brilliant the Andy Serkis Martin Freeman uh, moment is at the end of the Riddles in the Dark sequence when Bilbo is is gonna kill him with his sword, but you know he, that that crucial pivotal moment when he chooses to have pity on Gollum instead and the way that that Circus and Freeman did that completely with their facial expressions and you could you know you could sort of see the whole thing going on so well done and then by contrast the Rankin Bass version just has Bilbo jumping over Gollum yelling ta ta as he goes <laughs> by and just absolutely the most horrific Version of. Anyway, so yeah, that's. At the same time, though, in the Rankin Bass version, I thought
2: they did a very good job of, of showing that when, uh, when Frodo or when Sam would grip the ring, uh, uh, the change that would come over them. You know yes. they would sort of, you know they would they would sort of they would they, they would kind of show that that strength and magnificence that they would sort of borrow from the horrible power of the ring, yes. and and start laying out the words in the great echoing you know great echoing voice, and then how ridiculous it was when it got to Sam and he was like I will be Samwise the gardener, you know
3: gardener, with an
2: echoing voice, and right. then for Sam to stop and go. Now, that's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you can you totally buy that, you know, that, somebody, that. Somebody who was grounded enough would realize that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I, th- there were some parts of it that I really liked. Uh, um, just like... Uh, and,
1: you
2: know... and when you go back to the even earlier one, who, who was it that did the, uh, uh, the, the complete uh... psychedelic fellowship? That was the next question.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. I figured Dave was going to go
2: there, too. Because there should have been some sort of animated Oscar award for Gandalf for best actor in that one. Uh, because <laughs> in the part where they actually animated him, he was cool. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, yes. Okay, but before when they were not just rotoscoping everything, so.
0: Right, right. The
2: Bakshi, that's what it was Ralph The Bakshi The Bakshi yeah. adaptation Which
4: yeah. we, we're actually we're, we're admirers of that um, um, we, we particularly like the,
0: uh, the screenplay adaptation The screenplay, Peter Beagle's screenplay I mean, man, he, he draws straight from the book As much as it's humanly possible to do in a screenplay I think, I, I don't know ever of any screenplay That draws a bigger percentage of its, of its, of its text Straight from the book I mean, it's, it's amazing I always find yep. that pretty impressive, the way that he puts that together.
1: But, you know, to, to to Jim's point about his own adaptation of Dresden Files, I think, you know, I have met a lot of people of a certain age whose first um, introduction to Tolkien was those was, was animated features. Yes. And in yes. fact, you know, that's where they started being Tolkien fans. So, and
4: it didn't, yeah, it didn't spoil it.
3: Yeah, right. I was I was very
2: excited that that, that those things existed because I didn't know the animated features existed until years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sisters bought me the the, the the box set of Lord of the Rings, the primary colors box set with the, the green blue red uh, uh, uh you know green blue red yellow books. Yes,
0: yes. Oh yeah. and, yes. and that was where I started reading. Saying... Yep, yep. I still have those. That the, the, that was the first set of the Lord of the Rings that I owned, too. Right, right, right. And my sisters got that for me when I was home with, like, strep
2: throat uh, one, one week. And, uh, and and I had devoured the entire thing by, by you know, a couple of days later. It was like, this is amazing. And they're like, there's also a cartoon. We'll see <laughs> if we can find it for you. Somewhere. There's a cartoon of this? Oh, my god! That must be the most
0: amazing thing.
2: Oh. Yeah. There <laughs> oh, yes. are parts of it that were cool. There are parts of it that were cool.
0: There are. There are. I was uh, – I'm pretty sure that even – Uh, At the age of 12, which is, I believe, how old I was when I first saw the Bakshi film, I think I still laughed at the Balrog when I was 12. Uh, He's fairly ridiculous, I have always thought. Um, Yeah, I was much
2: more impressed with the Jackson (laughs) Balrogs.
0: Yes, yes. Significantly more impressive. Yeah, that showdown on the bridge, that was cool. Yes. Yes.
4: Much cooler than the guy in the lion
0: suit. With the, 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 yeah, the guy in the lion's head <laughs> with the fuzzy boots. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Less terrifying. Yeah, it was a different Humble.
1: time. <laughs> we were in a different place. It was it a different time.
2: time. <laughs> the drugs were much
0: different then. <laughs> yes. And apparently like, more Hobbit, readily the, available. One thing
1: I remember in the Ray and Bass Hobbit, the whole Battle of Fire Armies is shown as like little ants.
0: Yes, yes, around. the little the little you like know. yeah, kind of like with the the animation that surrounds Pigpen in uh, in, in 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 the Charlie Brown cartoon. You know, that's that's right, pretty right. much what it looks like. Yeah. 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 It's not actually the battle of like, you know,
3: I mean, uh, Pigpen's you know, bodily on,
0: parasites don't... or something, but
1: no, bear, no bears being dropped by eagles? Come on. I
0: mean, yeah. you know,
1: they could have got yeah. that it
0: right. It's true. I mean, seriously, how could they weave out the fact that eagles came by and dropped bears onto the fight? I mean, like, <laughs> such a crucial moment yeah. in the book that I was so glad Jackson got right, you know, that... that
1: Or that Tolkien <laughs> didn't understand that Legolas <laughs> was supposed to be part of
3: the story. I mean, <laughs> right. come on,
0: people. Right. Uh, yeah. It is way. really... It is really shocking the number of the number of gravity-defying Lego stunts that Tolkien didn't include in the original Hobbit. It is
2: <laughs> kind of stunning. Yeah, well, you know, they—I they, mean, they had between having three directors and and being told to stretch things into three movies. Uh, I suspect that they were that they were they were they were struggling to figure things out with a with a with a limited amount of time as well.
0: Yeah, yeah it, that's true. It, it is certainly true the shift, true. you know, I mean, having never been involved in that. But I mean, it's like you said with you know, with the the last minute changes to the Dresden Files show, right? I mean it's, there's only so much you can you know, you can't just come in at the last second and say, Okay, um do everything totally different now. I mean that's that's hard. You know, that in, that imposes a lot have of very
3: three movies instead
0: of two. Yeah, I mean and, and yes. what that would do to the you know, from the screenplay on down through everything else, you know, that I, I can only imagine
2: yeah of... in the movie it's even the the, the, the chain of cons the cascade of consequences is even worse right uh, because you've got to have so many things that are set up in various places that you only have for a limited time and right. know, as opposed to when you're shooting like when you've got your studio that is just dedicated to the show for the season
0: right 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 yeah
1: right right
0: Corey, do you want to do a drawing? Yeah, we do. We to. We're doing a. We're doing a, a couple special giveaways for the folks who are here with us live tonight, um, and um, we're uh, we're giving away a choice of of uh, of, of of Jim Butcher themed goodies. Here we have. I'm going to post. Um, uh, I'm going to post links here in the chat window to the things that we are offering to give away uh, the first is the volume one of the Dresden files omnibus that is the the graphic novel version that uh, Jim was referring to earlier um, one is the sort of this the second choice uh, for the giveaway is the uh, the, the more uh, uh, conventional, Uh, but excellent uh, 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 box set of the Dresden Files for an an excellent starter pack for people who are interested in getting started with the series.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's like one of those uh, starter decks for
0: Magic. Yeah, exactly. Here, just take this. (laughs) Exactly. We'll we'll give you these five for free and then you will certainly purchase the other other 15. Proportionally, it still is a better deal than the Magic starter packs, but still. Um, and the third is the Dresden, a copy of the Dresden Files role-playing game, which we haven't asked you about, and I would be interested to hear Ooh. what you had to say about that.
4: Oh, and another fascinating okay. adaptation.
0: Yeah. Did you have any say into that? And
1: actually, I think there are several, I think there are several role-playing games, and this is one of them. Yeah. Um, I think it's the first one.
0: Oh, yeah, there's, well, there's yeah. the, there's
2: the base game, and then they've, they've done, they've done several expansions, uh, um yeah, the role playing game was cool and I, and I had, that was one of those things where I sat down and I had to sit down with people who were putting together and say, okay listen, you're putting this whole universe together so you need to know about all these parts of the universe that Harry doesn't know about and that are informing, you know, the series and what's going on and where it's going to go in the future so here you go, and I kind of laid everything out for him and, and uh, uh, you know kind of all the, the building blocks that I was working with that don't necessarily come through in the books because Harry's got that limited viewpoint um, ah, so yes. So they they got all this stuff and then they're like, wait a minute, but if 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 this and then they started writing it and they started coming up with their own material because they're like, if this is true and this is true, then this must be true. And I'd be like, yes, that is true, but you can't put it there because it's going to be in book 19. So get rid of it. You know, like that. <laughs> uh, and and I, I don't want oh, wow. I don't want you to ruin the story for me, but but I felt very good because I'd I'd handed them uh, a bunch of information and then and then based on all the books that they'd read so far they were able to take, you know, by basic reasoning and fill in these gaps that I was already planning on filling in in the future, but they were able to to take the logic and go, aha! And, and put it together. Uh, uh, and So there were a couple of things that I had to tell them, no, don't do that, but you're totally right, but don't do that. Uh, because uh, <laughs> it's going to be in the books later. And they'd be like, okay, great, we won't. And then, uh, uh, you know, they wanted to, to write this, the thing I was really concerned about was they were writing dialogue from all the characters in the margins of the rule books, uh, uh, so that the, basically, the the conceit of the of the of the of the, the role playing game is that this is a role playing game that characters in the story world are putting together for publication to sort of warn people about the supernatural world and what it's like out there. They're pulling a, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the books that Harry used to keep in his office, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So so they're going oh, through. Wow. They're revealing all these things about the supernatural world, but they're hiding it in this role-playing book. And then this, and then the the book that you're looking at is their, is their their rough draft copy where they've all written like notes in the margins and signed off on them and so on. So, you know, Murphy's written notes in the margin, and Harry's written notes in the margin, and Billy and the Werewolves have written notes in the margin, and Bob the Skull has written notes in the margins. Uh, uh, <laughs> And what I what I was really worried about was going there. I was going to go through, and they were going to be saying all these things that I, my characters would not say. But instead, I read it and was like, "This is freaking hilarious!" And I, <laughs> I I sent it back without without a red mark on it. And he said, "You guys have really you've really worked your your butts off, and it shows." And and you know, go for it. Now, unfortunately, I'm the only guy in the universe who can't play the game. Uh, <laughs> uh, because if 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 I'm the player. Because uh, I'm like this power gaming weasel, so if I'm the player, I couldn't possibly play it because who could GM me? You know, I'd be like, no, it is that way, Mr. Game Master. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it that way in the next book if I have to. <laughs> so it's like, it's, there's no way for me to play it. It's unplayable for me. And yet if I'm the Game Master who's like who's like kind of running the story and torturing all the characters, it's too much like work.
0: Right.
3: Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. One of our only... listeners
1: has, one of our listeners has actually played. Uh, she's actually for quite an extent time the Dresden RPGs, and she says that she loves Bob's margin commentary. And
3: oh
2: yeah, it's was, hilarious. Like, it's yeah. hilarious. Uh, uh, but anyway, so uh, I can't play it, but but I can look at it and admire it as a fine product, uh, uh, and and enjoy a, a bunch of people who are who seem to be really enjoying the game.
0: Yeah, that is excellent. Yeah, so Besides basically, question. you would be worse than oh, than than than, than Harry when Harry was 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 playing was you know uh, critiquing the the mages in the D and D games that he was playing with uh, with the alphas basically. Oh yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, because that would be to have the actual wizard playing D
2: and D with you would just be the worst thing. I mean, it, it, would,
1: I, it would actually.
3: Yeah, I think yeah. It's,
2: what does the fireball carry a tape measure with it? So it knows how far <laughs> to
1: that? <expect>? Right. <laughs> he'd be a total buzzkill, wouldn't he? He'd,
2: he'd yeah, really he would. Lose. He would. It'd be, it'd be like it, it really would be like like going to a Star Trek movie with a, you know with a physics major.
1: Oh, I did. That. Or, yeah. or an astrophysicist. I've, been, I've actually you know? had that experience. Yeah, I had one that was an electronics engineer, and he watched Star Trek. And he goes, "Sparks don't fly when that happens. They just don't. That doesn't happen." And I'm like, yeah. oh, God." <laughs>
2: well, the panels explode. <laughs> it's the future. I, 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 I got. I got to see. I got to see Twister with a bunch of people uh, with a bunch of meteorologists. <laughs> uh, that oh my was God. awesome. That experience was amazing. <laughs> it was, and it was not only that. It was the National Severe Storms Lab people from the University of Oklahoma where oh, I went to school. no, So this just um, wasn't.
1: These just it was. It
2: was actually like, the people who were supposed to be being portrayed in the movie. In the movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. And they're like, granted, what? we're that awkward and nerdy, but, you know, it doesn't
0: work like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Did you? Did they almost get thrown out of the theater for standing up and yelling, It's not like that! The- <laughs> oh, no,
0: no, no,
3: no. <laughs> okay.
2: No, it, it, it wasn't like there was anybody at that movie, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now have, I have a I have a question that may be on other people's minds here among us. Have you have you given the Lord of the Rings Online a shot?
2: I have not played that one. Uh, uh, I kind of got out of MMORPGs after EverQuest uh, wow. on account of I, I wanted to have a life. <laughs>
1: life decisions yeah. I know where you speak. Yeah. Well, and the real
2: problem was 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 that always in those games as you go higher level, you've got to you've got to involve other people in your game and play with them. And and I was like Correct. such a it, it, there was no reason for me to be playing an MMORPG because I was—I've always played as a loner. You know, it's like I would play—you know—the EverQuest Ranger alone, no party, just me.
3: <laughs> right.
2: forth <laughs> these that. monsters and try and do these quests and try and figure out ways to cheese the quest without any help. You know, and, and that, was, Corey, that, that sounds
1: was... like you. Uh,
0: you know, I was gonna say I can relate to this. Yeah, I—I uh, I, I <laughs> do a lot of soloing. Uh, and, no, I've been. Uh, 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 Trish and I have both been playing. Uh, the Lord of the Rings online because we've been you know, we've been doing a lot of discussion of the adaptation I'm doing a I'm doing a, a live stream every week where I where I'm going through their main epic quest line and sort of talking about the way in which they're they're adapting Tolkien's work and sort of Looking at right. the sort of the the Tolkien history and background and stuff, so it's
2: it just seems like it would be really hard to uh, what
0: what time period is the game set? in? the game is set in the like right during the time of the Lord of the Rings. So you actually like the the opening sequence. If you play a Hobbit, for instance, the opening sequence is your character walks onto the the screen. You're by the side of the road and you see Frodo and Sam and Pippin walk by on their way to 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 Buckleberry, to you know to to head out to um to Frodo. House, so it's, you're in Chapter Three of the Fellowship of the Ring when you begin, and you kind of skirt around the edges of the, and in, in your your path kind of crosses the the, the 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 path of the Fellowship at various points. It's very interestingly okay. It's okay. very interesting.
1: Like when you get to Rivendell, one of your one of your quests is to find a missing Nazgul. Remember how Tolkien makes kind of a two sentence thing about you know uh, scouts were sent out far and wide after the incident at the Fort of Bruinen and you know, to discover. Well, it turns out you're one of the scouts that's sent out to, you know, find the missing Moskul. Okay, <laughs> yeah, That's
2: clever enough, I guess.
0: Yeah, they actually do a really brilliant clever. job of sort of scouring through the books, and any time it is mentioned that someone was asked to do something or someone was sent to go do something who is unnamed, they basically give that role to the, to the player characters. <laughs> <It's just laughs> <better. laughs> Hear you
3: yeah before yeah. Yeah. to exactly. do
2: necessary
0: plot things for the real heroes <laughs> exactly right. it's cool we it's actually so had we
1: actually had what is he the senior world, world builder from turbine the company that does the game as a guest in our at, to a conference last year and he he's he said that he is like the token lore he's one of the token lore you know kind of like police so if the if the designers want to do xyz and it's not consistent with tolkien, he, he goes in and basically stands over them and, 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 and uh, threatens to bring zombie tolkien
0: <laughs> That's right, them. yes he, he, uh, yeah uh-huh. he was telling, telling, telling stories about you know certain suggestions that they have made about ways that you know things they want to introduce into the game, and he, he, he goes and threatens to set their desks on fire if they in oh, fact do that.
1: actually right. legs, Jim will love the story he'll love the story about the, the studio heads. Came up with this great idea for like the the the, the core the core game, and centers a lot on Angmar. You know, Angmar actually plays a really prominent role in, in the game because there's been a, a, a another Witch King wannabe basically, you know, has risen, and you have to go do things. Anyway, so the studio heads wanted, what they wanted there to be a, a romance between a, an elf and a Balrog. <laughs> uh, uh, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Chris said when he went back and banged his head on his desk for about an hour. And, and, and please,
2: actually, if there's a transcript, let it reflect that I spelled that what? W-A-T.
3: <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah, correct.
1: But, you know, they basically did not do that. But it did give rise to a, another Another story that may not have been thought of if it hadn't been for this, but he said that's like an extreme example of the kind of thing that they have to do. The like Elf, begin with.
2: Romance. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. I, I,
2: I, I no, I can't. I refuse to try to imagine that anymore. <laughs> that's right. Here, hand me that sharp thing. I'm going to do a brief frontal lobotomy just so I don't have a memory of that. Because
1: I've given you a mental image you cannot get rid of now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm going to – okay, basically, I'm going to push this fork up my nose right now.
3: (laughs) It's worth it. It's worth it.
1: (laughs) So, actually, I guess we should, like – announce the drawing winner. Yes. Yes, one, we, right? should.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we should. We started mentioning drawings.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've mentioned and discussed the prizes, but no, not actually given any way. And our, our first of two winners is Susan Cormier. Susan Cormier oh, is our first Susan. winner. Yeah,
1: that's great.
0: That's right. Long-time, that's great. So, long-time Susan, listener and student.
1: You can um, let me know via... Uh, let, where, where are we having people? Info, right? Yeah. Info at org. Or. That's right, info at symin dot org is where to send your choice, which one you want to have, whether it's the um, omnibus or the box set or the uh, role playing game
0: that's right that's right and we'll do we'll do one well, more drawing at the end.
1: Let's talk about the silvermerillion
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. And adapting that. So, you know, it was funny, you know, Jim, you mentioned earlier this, like, fantasy world in which you could do anything that you wanted without any limitations. And it was funny that you said that, because that's exactly what we decided to do. Um, you know, we spent three years talking about the Hobbit adaptation. Um both discussing what Jackson was actually doing, and before the films came out, we spent we'd spend the whole year leading up to the films, talking about you know what we would do and thinking through the you know sort of the adaptation challenges that lay before Jackson's team and uh, and thinking of all that stuff. And by the end, we were we were still having a really great time thinking about adaptation and what we would do and you know what uh, you know how you would need to think through the story uh, in order to adapt it. Um, to the screen, but we began to be increasingly frustrated with the limitations of actually thinking about what Jackson was doing and what he would do. Um, so this is what uh, uh, what ultimately um, inspired the Silmarillion film project, which is to imagine the 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 Silmarillion done in a serial TV show. Um, we know this, of course, won't happen likely in the lifetimes of anybody still living. Um, Because people forget about this. J.R.R. Tolkien does not have the trademark. He does not have the copyright on the Silmarillion. Christopher Tolkien has the copyright on the Silmarillion, and he is not even dead yet. So it's going to be a long, 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 long time before that's going to be available. Um, And I... Assume, As I always have assumed that Christopher Tolkien is going to have himself buried with the film rights to the Silmarillion, buried in his coffin with him. So that's just never going to happen. Anyway, um, so what we thought, you know, what great fun actually just to think it through. And to discuss it, so we're we're planning out planning it out as if we are going to write and produce uh, this serial production of the Silmarillion, but with none of the actual limitations of reality attached to that, really whatsoever. Um, which has been tremendous fun. Um, so, what are your what sort of what are your your sort of first thoughts about you know? Things from the Silmarillion that would be really fun to do, things that would be really challenging to do. What's sort of the first things that you think of when you think of of adapting the Silmarillion to the screen?
2: Okay, it's been a while since I've read it, so my my thoughts are going to be sort of fuzzy. Okay. Um, First of all, prequels rarely come off as well as as anyone would like them to. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're sort of necessary. It's sort of necessary to establish that material so that you've got it for your story world. Uh, but then actually going... But, but having that in the background and letting it inform your story is, is sort of its purpose. If you go back and illuminate it, it's not necessarily as much fun. And I don't think it would necessarily be as much fun. It's um, not for as example, Star
1: Wars, about. correct?
2: Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to mention it, but... Uh, well, I guess the... <laughs> There are some prequel stories there that might better have been left untold.
3: Well,
4: that, actually, and, and that's a fascinating observation because because Tolkien himself had concerns like that that. that. Uh, right, Corey. We, we've discussed he this liked before, things
1: that, to
3: be left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there well, are some
0: things left. that he did leave vague on purpose. Though Christopher Tolkien, in you know when he talked, and he spoke about the, you know, he wrote about this, I should say, most explicitly in the forward to the first volume of the History of Middle Earth series. That is because that that's the place where he was essentially responding. To the critics of the Silmarillion, you know, people who are saying, you know, what is this thing? Where did this come from? How much of this is really, you know, the father, and how much of it is the son, and um, and 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 all that kind of thing. And so he was in, in the in the forward to that to that book. He's responding to those people, and then of course, like. The entire 12 volume history of Middle Earth series is like the long response to the people who complained about the Silmarillion. Um, yeah, see, but, but, but on the other hand, I think that would be, I, I think that would really be, you know, during that uh,
2: duration would be just the ideal place to set the MMORPG because you can have all kinds of
0: insanity happening there. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's there's vampires and werewolves and all kinds of cool things. <laughs> yeah, there's th- certainly there are a bunch of things that he includes. Yeah, there's just... all kinds of ill-advised elven romances going on. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, you,
2: you could actually see weird things happening. Not that of which we're not going to mention again. <laughs>
0: That's right, not that. <laughs> you know, because I only had the one fork, but, um, (laughs) that's right. But, you know, it's even, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we've been even talking about, you know, there are a lot of times I really like to go back, um, to the stuff in the history of the Middle Earth series, you know, things like the book of Lost Tales, where we're reading the original stories that Tolkien wrote back in the teens, uh, you know, when he himself was like in his early twenties, just out of the war. And, um, uh, and there's some wild stuff that goes on back there. I mean, you know, we had, uh, I mean, the that uh, you know, Balrogs weren't involved in romances, but they were the product. I mean, like the the Gothmog, the Lord of the Balrogs, was Morgoth's son. I mean, he was his kid for crying out loud. Morgoth had a wife, sort of wife, yeah, yeah. concubine person. I mean, yeah, it's uh, crazy. So yeah, yeah it I'm, seems like it would just make such great sitcom fodder, right
2: there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not taking this as seriously as I should be. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, no. And we we uh, joke around with it a lot, but. Um,
2: Address
4: yeah, this. Yes, uh, thoughts such as irreverent thoughts such as have on multiple occasions. Okay. Good.
3: Good. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: We're, we we've already cast uh, the Rock as uh, Tolkien.
0: Tolkas. Yeah. I think that really. Yeah. That's that's that seems to be a growing consensus. I think.
4: Main concern being his lack of hair.
0: Well, oh yeah.
1: Oh, and our and and this last week we came up with the whole the whole line of pre fall before Melkor goes bad, the Balrogs are gorgeous and they have wings. Yes, and we were... as part of their decision to to go evil with Bal with Melkor, they lose their wings, but they retain a shadow of them, thereby confusing artists and uh, movie makers. Yes. for generations
0: still. and spawning internet debates for years and years afterwards in the future. Right. Oh yeah, oh very clearly. I think that's obviously that if that's not canon, it probably should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, it, we can probably make it canon. I mean, I know a lot of Jackson stuff from Jackson movies. Some people think is canon. Yes, that's um, true. It
4: becomes confused with canon. Yes. Um, um, we noticed. So, so we noticed. We were we were digging around on. We found. Um. We found an old forum post that's that's attributed to you, Jim. Uh, Elrond Express. Oh my gosh,
2: that one! Uh, yeah, the, the description of Elrond. Yeah. Yes.
4: And, <laughs> and we just generally we we admired uh, that we admired the fact that you 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 recognized, um, uh, no doubt from from your reading past readings of the Silmarillion, that uh, that the elves are real jerks a lot of times. They <laughs> kind of are. Yes. <laughs> yeah that 's one of the things we, i mean we've obviously as we 've as we 've told you our uh, in our um, hypothetical Silmarillion adaptation um, we 're only part way through the first season which is which is not even going to get to the elves yet but that is one of the one of the things we're we 're really excited about uh delving into in the future is sort of the the the, the much more um, mixed picture of the elves that we get uh, um, in the Silmarillion, especially in contrast to, say, other screen adaptations of elves like the Jackson ones, where they tend to be um, um, you know, much more ethereal and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and actually, one of the offshoots of, of our conversation in looking at that post was, you know, how are we going to um, cast Elrond in our in mm. our adaptation after everybody's got Hugo Weaving in their heads? Um, that's going to be a challenge.
4: Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Any. Any. Uh, any. Any. Any thoughts you'd care to share on sort of like the the hypothetical portrayal of Elrond in a Silmarillion adaptation? Oh,
2: I. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he. He almost has to be. You would have to really go into a lot more of. Uh, Elrond didn't really have the kind of standing that he has in Rivendell, mm-hmm. uh, uh, where he's. I, at least, as far as as many of the elves back in the day would be concerned, you know, he's kind of the Lord of Beggars at that point. Um, <laughs> so true. Well, seriously, I mean, they're—I mean, they're it's it, very okay. well put. Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, it's it's the last. Okay, so he's got a house. Great, that's awesome. Yes, that's that. Behold the mighty elves. You know, is is what the is is what the, the you know the old school guys have to be thinking. Um, but yeah I mean you would have to show Elrond as the you know basically as the punky kid uh, mm-hmm. uh, refusing to he'd be,
1: a, he'd just be a young oh,
2: oh my god I just realized he's Spock on Vulcan that's what he is <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's, a really that good, that's
1: a really good parallel
2: oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's who he is it's another, oh my another thought you can't unthink yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> And <laughs> now Elron's standing there in his long robes And it's Hugo Weaving And he's doing the Live Long and Prosper sign in my head now I, I'm never going to do that <laughs> uh, Yeah, that hurts <laughs> uh, you know what? Now we can cast Hugo Weaving for Sarek In the Star, Star Trek movies And I'll, I'll be okay with it yeah. Oh wait, he died longer, didn't he? They disintegrated him uh, when they blew up the planet
4: Damn <laughs> so oh, no, 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 he survived He survived, it was the mom, the mom died Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Uh, Winona Ryder died horribly. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Cuz when I think somebody who wants uh, an emotionless and logical husband, I think Winona Ryder, that that is who he would be there.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, uh, we're we're getting off track Jane again. Wyman's, Jane
3: Wyman's Jane uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean you would you would, ha-
2: you would you would have to show Elrond as basically, you know, the troublemaking Will Smith character because he certainly you Elrond know, basically seemed to be—he seemed to get along fairly well with the various races. I mean, he welcomed Bilbo to his place, uh, uh, even the dwarves, who he didn't like and had good reason not to like. You know, he at least treated them reasonably well, and he didn't send out people to hunt them down when they left. Uh, uh, in the, in the Hobbit, uh, uh, you know, he seems to be a remarkably tolerant person for an elf.
0: Well, I mean, we're talking about the I mean, guy who 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 was raised by and learned to 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 love the two guys who sacked his city and killed all of his people and captured him and his brother and held them captive and then okay. they are like but they were like they were fine he he was okay with it in the end you know oh I mean, yeah yeah
2: i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure he loved them
0: for that, that <laughs> well you know that's it says that it no got
2: <laughs> well, yeah, some it's stockholm syndrome going History on. says that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, <true.
0: laughs> that's right yes Yes, the revised version. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You
2: know, the, you know what? Just write down that I love them. It's simpler. You know, you can kind of see an older, wiser Elrod saying that. Just write down that I love them. It makes it a lot easier.
4: That is that is true. It, it, it's it's sometimes easy to forget that the song is is in, is recorded history.
1: Yeah. To describe my childhood is nobody's business.
0: Just, just yeah. say that I love that. Actually, so yeah, yeah, and, right. and Dave, then then we could have a scene later on when he actually runs into Maglor, who's still wandering along the beach. Right? We we <laughs> we, 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 we have a shot of Maglor on the beach playing a sad song, and then Elrond could just come in and just punch him in the face.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, walks up behind him, and you know you, you kind of hear sprong as he breaks his
3: guitar. <laughs> That's true.
2: And then, you know, kind of kind of looks down at the base guy on the beach and is like, listen, just just go, and we're going to tell everybody that we settled our differences. That's right. Because that's going to make it easier for everyone else.
4: Or maybe, maybe someone will say, I thought you said you loved this guy. And, and, and it'll be like, no, Bilbo, Bilbo, that. That's poor bastard. He just totally mistranslated. That. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. That
2: was Bilbo's translation. Say,
0: yeah, yeah, Bilbo's was, grasp. He of...
1: wrote love. I said
2: loathe.
3: He, got, <laughs> he got right. Yeah, and love.
0: You know,
2: I don't understand what this word means. Um, it means love. Uh, just write <laughs> it down like that. Uh, it'll be simpler.
0: (laughs) He was getting the PG version, you know. They were the elves were, you know,
3: yeah. Well,
2: and I think, but I, but I do think it would be interesting and worth it to explore the nature of how interpersonal relationships would be if if they were going to be centuries and millennia long. Yes. Yes. There is so much potential for uh, absolute hatred to change to something else. I mean, you see that a lot of times. You know, uh, Charles, Magneto, uh, Charles Xavier and Magneto. You know, you get to the end where they're kind of at the end of their lives in 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 uh, uh, the, the in the in the 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 one that they were skipping around through time, uh, future, futures past, mm-hmm. and. They get to the end of their lives, and they're no longer really opponents. They're staunch allies, and they've put all this stuff behind them. And they, they, you know, I can't believe we wasted so much time with all this, with all this opposition and hatred when we should have been working together. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that you can that you can buy on a human scale. But can you imagine how much more uh, uh, extreme you could swing that when you've got millennia to work with? Right, mm-hmm. uh, right. Uh, that that might be indeed that might be fun to play with. Yeah, uh, I mean,
0: that's yes. Yeah. Yeah it's one of the things we were talking about um you know we were talking about earlier tonight you know about sort of the difference in in elvish psychology. you know talking about depicting an elvish character and trying to make an elvish character which is somebody that you know our presumably predominantly human audience would be able to sort of connect with and yet um to be realizing that this is this is you know there's got to be some really deeply fundamentally alien things about Oh, there has to be you know, there, yeah. because the, the elves have to look at humans and
2: and, and 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 think of them on emotionally in some levels it's the way we look at dogs it's like yeah you can love your dog but you know that one day you're gonna have to say goodbye the dog's not going to live as long as you you know and when you do have to say goodbye it's heartbreaking but at the same time it's not you know, it's not the world-shattering, heartbreaking that you get from for, from from losing, say, your father, right?
0: Uh, right. Uh,
2: uh, so, really, and and you know, for these, for you know, you, I, I've I've okay, the first fantasy series that I wrote, starred an elf, and 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 I would actually done the math on how much training an elf would have if he just kind of did it part time <laughs> for a while, right. and realized and realized that your average elf. The one who just kind of went out and played with swords on Saturday afternoon for fun with his friends, you know, was going to have more more training time and more combat experience than uh, uh, than, a, than a veteran Roman legionnaire, and not by a little, right. by hundreds and hundreds of, of years
3: worth.
0: Yes, yes. You know, uh, I, 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 I really and I, I, I. really like the thoughtful ways that you deal with that in some of the Dresden Files books. I'm thinking in particular of Nicodemus, of course, who, who often brings that kind of thing up. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's like, well, how could you hit
2: him with a sword at that distance? Oh, I used to go out on, on afternoons once in a while and practice. <laughs> yes. Until I got it down. You know, <laughs> when you've lived 2,000 years, you've had plenty of afternoons. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, uh, yeah, and how it's going to change how you've got to interact and the kind of distance you almost have to keep, you know, with these very
0: ephemeral beings that are going to be there and then gone. Yes. Yeah, you Not know, like, I actually I actually found that the, the most, the closest intuitive understanding I ever had between that relationship was as a tenured faculty member and your relationship to college students. Yeah, know, yeah. They're there for four years and then they graduate and they're gone. You remember them fondly, but then and the next generation comes through and and it's you know it's it's like it's like you know Finrod Felagund meeting Baron and being like oh yeah Beor you know the are like great great grandfather. He was awesome. He was one of my favorite guys ever. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's just you know it's 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 like that. You know, and even I, I used to think of that speech that that Hurin gives to um, gives to Turgon in Gondolin as. The the reason why they should let them go, why Turgen should should let them go. Because, you know, he's like, you know, oh, you know, we like, you elves can afford to sit and wait and bide your time, but we are men and our time is limited and we must act now forever to act. always reminded me of student activism. Um, you know, like the students who are trying to make a change in the university culture, you know, and they're like, we must effect this change before next semester. And the faculty are all like, maybe in five years this will have happened, but, you know, there's no- <laughs> You know, you'll be gone and you'll never see it, but that's okay. We'll still be here. And,
1: uh... Gosh, Corey, I didn't realize you had such insight into elves. That's
3: amazing. I, it was, it was...
0: Here's, listen, here's the scary thing. Here's the
2: scary thing is that we need to start thinking about these stories and writing about these stories because actual biological immortality for human beings is not as far away as, any, as people seem to think. I mean, it's actually something viable that could be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, go Google biological immortality, and, and, and there's, you'll be <laughs> yeah, able to find some
1: right. articles. I should,
3: and, and yeah, it could actually be some the,
1: ghostwriting for a, for, a, for a research institute that was looking into that. I was really blown away by <laughs> exactly. stuff I –
2: Exactly. I mean, this yeah. is something that could potentially even happen within our lifetimes, and in, in which case we're the first generation of elves here, and we've <laughs> got to start thinking that way. Because all of a sudden, I mean, if they get that right, uh, uh, and they really think that they can do it, because they, they think they get they think they can find a way to repair the telomeres in your genes that that, that make your right. that make your your, your cells uh, do the copy of the copy thing, right? And if that works, that means that we're going to live on the average about a thousand years before we find a way to kill ourselves. Um,
1: I uh, I remember when I when I did that research, I thought to myself, just my luck, I'll be the last generation
3: of the short-lived ones. You know? Yeah. or, or – <laughs>
2: Even worse, yeah. just your luck—you'll be the first generation. Yeah, I was going to say. It. Actually, that seems well, like much worse luck to me. All these problems. Yeah. And, you know, but all, I mean, because I mean, think about how it changes everything. It's going to be a huge societal upheaval, and suddenly we have to start thinking and acting like elves, uh, 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 because we're going to be around long enough that we're going to have to be thinking about the consequences of things that normally we wouldn't worry about. You know, something that happens that, uh, you know, right now, uh, okay, I'm building a place in, in Colorado because I, I, I thought it might be nice to live in the same state with my fiancé. And uh, uh, exactly. so I built a place, and Forest Service came through and was like, you're going to have to cut down all these trees around here because otherwise there's a danger of fire. It's like a serious thing in the mountains. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're going to make me cut down all these trees. And I was I was furious about it. You know, but if, if I'm suddenly dealing with things from an elven perspective, it's like, okay, well, those blades of grass will be back in, you know, a mere 20 years. <laughs> right. Uh, 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 right. So why do I need to worry about that? And, I mean, and that's just like the first little thing that, that springs to mind, you know, uh, much I less mean, global, all, all the Global warming
1: years. is a good example. Yeah, the yeah, issue of exactly. like global warming. I mean, you know, well, we don't have to worry about it in our lifetime probably, but, yeah, if you... If you Going to live a thousand years? Yeah, you
0: have to worry about it. Yeah, it's like
2: hmm, maybe that better be something I should I, I should I should be concerned with, mm-hmm. uh, since it will be affecting me directly. Uh, but you know, or, or or even even I mean, think of how it's going to change. You uh, how it's going to change crafting, how it's going to change the way you put things together. Suddenly, you're not going to be interested in a house that's only going to last you 75 years. <laughs> you know, you're going you're right. to want a house that you're going to be able to live in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is going to last at least three hundred years, and all of a sudden, that that's a much different s- set of demands on housing. Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, what but it, it's 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 very it's it's a very interesting thing, and, and so I think it's going to be useful for us to be you know thinking and maybe writing about these stories and maybe telling stories about people that live a long time and the kinds of stuff they have to deal with. By the way,
1: Corey, this we're sounds like a mind when we're when we're doing
4: that. That's right. This sounds like a a fantastic panel for the next uh, Myth
0: Moot. <laughs> right
1: but the time uh, time question question uh-huh, of time
0: yeah yes yeah this is incipient great. immorality immortality and its uh, and its and its consequences yes right well
1: yeah. yeah i mean i think jim would probably appreciate dom
0: nardi's paper yeah I, just, I we i was chatting earlier about uh, a a a, a poly sci um, student who is uh, also one of our one of our, our students and longtime listeners, who is giving a paper on Elvish politics and the way in which immortality changes the political scene, um, and the kind of impacts that that has on political oh my systems. God, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, it's bad enough to have thirty-year senators. You know, exactly, you've got five hundred-year senators. Oh my God! Well, I mean, well, think
1: the White Council, right? Who voted them in, and they were there. Well, I, they, I actually, by Elvish terms, I guess it was a pretty short. It was
0: pretty. It was only a few hundred years for crying out loud. Yeah, but, yeah, um, right. but no, I mean, like, like you know, Dom. W- one of Dom's points, of course, is that you know we think about political corruption, right? I mean, it's really premised on immortality. It's like if I can get away with this for you know a decade or a couple decades, and then skip out. You know, to South America somewhere, I can probably make it through. And th- but it's because there's a terminus there. You know, this it's not. It's, you know, you and the people that you fleeced are not going to be living for thousands of years. You know, right, right like, exactly. Sooner or later, they're going to catch up with you. You know, this there's, there, there's, yeah, yeah. the whole accountability structure is different. Yeah, and you, and not only that, but you know, people that you make an
2: enemy of, right? You know, they're going to be an enemy a long time. Suddenly, culture and manners and courtesy is a lot more important. Oh my gosh, Tolkien was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> the elves are making a lot more sense now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe think... yeah, You know, I mean, he had to have thought this through. I mean, the guy got very little sleep and did I mean, <laughs> Before I get into this and, and realize it, just reading some of the stuff he writes in his letters and stuff. I mean, he really did think through this. Really deeply, um, you know, like the athrobeth is another example. Of, you know, yes. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jim, but it's a conversation between Finrod and a and a and a woman, a human woman, and it's very much the immort- mortality, immortality uh, conversation. You know, there's other stuff going on in there too, but it's really right. interesting. Yeah. And he wrote that, you know, later in life, and it's a really, really good piece.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating because Andreth, the uh, the woman, basically, you know, all that stuff in the Silmarillion about how death is the gift of Eluvitar to men, um, and basically, Andreth, you know, th- 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 this this woman that Tolkien wrote later on in his life comes back and says, "Yeah, that's what the elves say." Shows what they know. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you guys try it and then see what you think? Um, and it's 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 it is fascinating. It's a really interesting uh, 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 investigation of that whole thing.
3: But yeah, yeah this yeah, is interesting a...
1: because because showing you know this is something we should include in our treatment, obviously for season two, since the elves don't wake up until the end of season one. But something to keep in mind as we're as we're scripting out the elvish parts of the story, actually all parts of the story, human and elf, is to keep this kind of. Thing in mind, and how do we portray that to a human audience?
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely.
2: Oh, I don't even know if that's something that you could do on the screen. It would be Mm -hmm. hard. Uh, It would be hard. I mean, television. Television is get the story in in forty-two minutes. You know, I mean, that's uh, right.
1: Yeah, this is a completely
2: yeah. different Well, we're
1: commercial freaks if so get an
2: thin. hour. <laughs> oh, okay, right, yeah, right. Okay, good. Yeah, so that, that's
1: good. That.
0: No but, problem. But, I mean, you know, there's there's, there's similar things. I mean, you know, thinking back again to, you know, previous conversation, you know, when thinking about, you know, if you were thinking about doing, you know, a Dresden Netflix serial or something, you know, having to depict Mab would be very similar, right? I mean, to mm-hmm. try to capture, as I do think you do give a, a really interesting sense of, the the way in which you know like how harry is always sort of sliding at times into thinking about and talking to mab as if she were a human you know and and not rec- like sort of almost like he's forgetting who she is and and she reminds him um and, and just how how alien you know the she in general are um uh, so well, i mean that would be a, that would be a,
1: yeah I have, you know, I can wait forever. I don't, you know, don't, no problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in this for the long haul kind of thing. Yeah,
2: patience is one of those things that is not uh, traditionally highly valued in in today's society very much. You know, you don't really see it in storytelling. You don't really see it on TV, the the character who's willing to be patient. Uh, uh, But it is... uh, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it is one of those things that is so vital. Is, and as I get older and and, and and realize, oh, you know what I have to do to fix this, I wait,
3: and, and that's going <laughs> to fix
2: this problem. You know, right. I can do yeah. that.
4: Yeah,
1: right. That is uh
4: that that is an interesting point because the uh so just thinking about challenges of adaptation, um, you have a lot of storylines in in Dresden Files that are. That are characters like Mab or Arthur Langtree or, or you know characters who have who have extended lifespans and and sort of, you know, their scope of duty is is larger than than even you know Harry's always thinking about indif- the, the cost of. Of events on individuals, or even on a city, and these people have much larger scopes of
2: duties. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Harry he is much more focused on what's immediately around him. Well, of course, and you can't blame the guy because he's all, he almost dies every like several times per book, <laughs> right? So, like, although he theoretically that guy, has a really long lifespan, he doesn't live like year. it, right? It's one weekend out of his year. <laughs> <laughs> a, there's a difference between lifespan and actual life expectancy, right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, yeah. if you well, write about what,
1: the times and he doesn't get beat up, it's a boring story, right? You well, exactly. You kind of write about the times
2: exactly. he doesn't. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> even though I, I wrote a short story that was just supposed to be about his day off, and even that was... So yes, fun. I love so, that story. That's very, that is a great <laughs> story, yes. yes.
4: <laughs> but it is, uh, it, it is, that would be a challenging adaptation, because you have, you have you have you you know, Mab has plots that span books, which mm-hmm. in a, I would imagine in a TV series would span at least a few seasons where, where, you know, something finally comes to fruition like, you know, in the course of television season, it would come to fruition like five years later. And you'd have to keep the, somehow you'd have to hope that the your average TV watching person would actually remember that and would be able to recall like, oh yeah I remember that thing happening. Oh, um. are, you, are you kidding? I watched Babylon 5. That did happen.
1: <laughs>
4: <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know I, think it you're, done. <laughs> I think you're far from average, Jim. <laughs> that's that's true. You just got to get that, si- if you can just you know, actually the demands for audience size are much lower these days, interestingly enough. So yeah, yeah as that's long as you <laughs> if you're on the well, right I, s-
1: I, well, our, our adaptation is actually going to be a niche market there's no question yes. about it I mean oh, no.
2: true true uh, uh, although and, I, I, I've always done well I mean it, it, it's it's been very useful to me to assume that my audience is smart mm-hmm.
3: uh,
2: I, I never I never want to assume that my audience is dumb I always assume that they're going to figure it out uh, um, I, I try not I mean uh, while I will occasionally put some things together uh, a little bit more obviously there's a lot of things that I just don't and I trust the audience to figure it out, and they do. Uh, 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 I mean, maybe that's because I'm I'm writing books, and you know, for for readers, just just kind of generally tend to be more on the ball. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have never I have never gone wrong just assuming that my audience is gonna be is gonna be smart and figure something out. Right. When, uh, when, when I,
3: uh, I,
4: I think that's a I think that's a I think that's. I think that's a good attitude. I actually think yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people watching watching, you know, at least I think shows like this are well are self-selective, so they'll select for an audience like that. So I think I think another Dresden Files adaptation is naturally going to draw in people who are interested in in the complexity of the stories that you're telling and that kind of stuff. And actually, you know, if you look at the success of Walking Dead and things like that, I think there's totally people are capable of doing of watching like that. And it certainly helps that you now have you know, you have the internet which which for a lot of people can fill in gaps and things like that. So
2: Yeah, it's true, it's true. <sighs> I
4: think the and time
1: think is right, we Jim. We ended up getting right, instructed by many of our listeners tonight because many of our listeners are far more first on
3: <laughs> That's true.
1: Dresden. And the background of stuff than we are. It's like, you know, this is why he wrote this, and that's is what he said about Toland. sir. I'm like, oh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate the, the crib notes. <laughs> One
4: people...
1: of the things, by the way, about the silver Silberillion... Oh, go ahead, sorry.
4: Oh no, no, I was just going to say people people follow your uh, your your various interviews very closely, Jim.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: I, I've noticed very... that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I should I should reiterate. Uh, To everyone who's listened to my various interviews, that I'm an unreliable narrator. (laughs) You you should bear in mind that it is my job to tell you giant, complicated lies. But fiction writers have much, um, somebody who's writing a series like I'm doing has a much, much harder uh, 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 series of spinning plates uh, of of lies to keep going than any politician.
1: And I believe, actually, you might have that in common with Professor Tolkien, wouldn't you say, Corey? <laughs> yeah, an unreliable narrator.
0: Oh, oh yes, yeah. In terms no.
1: of how things got started. I mean, oh,
0: absolutely. All no, he made. St- yeah, he he clearly made things up, and there are a bunch of things which he was fond. Of. I mean, like for instance, take the sacred in a hole in the ground. There lived a hobbit story, uh-huh. right? About how he wrote. I mean, it's not that I think he was lying about that or just make. But he loved telling that story, and. I'm, like, I don't know. I feel pretty confident that... That story kind of grew in the telling as he retold it and retold it and retold it. And I think there are several examples of that kind of thing where he...
1: And besides that that story, I mean, Jim, you've been a rep publicist. That story just smacks of a publicity agent. (laughs) Oh, he wrote on the back of a test paper. I mean, truly, that's like a publicist, you know, dream. So, yeah, I mean, when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, right.
2: (laughs)
3: Yeah. I started
2: writing this on a napkin in a coffee shop I was going to...
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. well no, you I'm... know, or yours, yours is a good example, which is you know, he he, you know, you, and I think it's somewhat based in fact. You know, he wrote his first dress story as part of a college course, but. What's left Aww. out is the fact that you'd been writing for a really long time before that. Yeah,
2: it, it was like my sixth or seventh novel, but but it, not exactly. only did I write it, not only did I write it as part of a college course, I wrote it to prove to my
0: writing teacher how wrong she was about all the things she was trying to teach ah, me. Right. Was she was she, she, uh, was she, was, she trying to Richard. discourage you from writing fantasy at all? No, 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 no. Okay. She was.
2: Um, uh, see, the thing was was that I was a swords and horses fantasy author, and I knew this. And not only that, but I had a bachelor's degree in English literature <laughs>
3: right. ah. with an
2: emphasis in creative writing, whereas she had merely published forty novels. Right. Uh, right. So she was. She did, had kept. She had I continually. Better man. Well, yeah. Clearly, she had continually been giving me very good advice, which I had been rejecting, uh, 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 just just left and right, and trying to explain to her how wrong she was. And so one semester I decided that I was going to prove to her how wrong she was, and I, I was, you know, with the brilliance of a grad student, uh, uh, I, I had the, 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 the perfect plan in mind. I was going to do absolutely everything she told me to do. I was going to fill out all her little forms and do her little outlines and her character, her character sheets and profiles, do absolute all the things she was telling me to do, all this rigid story structure stuff, and she was gonna see what awful, terrible cookie cutter Pablum crap emerged from that kind of process. <laughs> and, 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 so so I, and so I wrote the first book of the Dresden Files, and that was that's <laughs> literally that's how it got started. <laughs> and obviously that I mean obviously that showed her. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, I yeah you going
1: that you adopted her process for every book after that, right?
2: Uh, yeah, everything since, yeah. I mean, at, at this point, it's a ritual.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, it, it,
2: well, it's not like I have to do it because I've been doing it for so long, I just incorporate it into my thinking. So I just sit down and don't even think about it. Uh, uh, it's like I, I, the way I like to illustrate it is it's, it's like a craftsman's working with his tools. He doesn't ever really stop and say, I need to get this hammer and this, you know, this ruler and I need to do this and that. They're just an extension of what he's doing. I need to I need to make this thing, and this is how I do it. Uh, and that's kind of how I that's kind of how I work now. But I, I did not pay any any attention to the, the the story structure she was trying to teach me uh, of how you get people involved in the story. And uh, uh, when I finally you know realized that I wasn't all that bright and started listening, I, I started learning, and that was when I started accomplishing things. Um, uh, that was when I wrote, wrote, wrote the first book of the Dresden Files. And the, the funny part was, I turned in the first couple of chapters of Stormfront, and she said, you did it. And I said, what? She says, you oh. did it. You'll publish this. I don't know if this will be the first thing you publish, but you'll publish this. And this is a professional wow. quality. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she was like, now you need to go home, and, and now you need to go home and plan the rest of it. And she was talking about the novel. Right. And I came back the next you week. the rest- <laughs> with an out with a, a plan for a 20 book series with a three book you know big old apocalyptic trilogy to, to cap it off and, and, and outlines of you know kind of brief outlines of each of the novels. and I was explaining the whole thing to her and the character arc and the big story at the end and how awesome it was going to be. and what do you think? And I just, I remember the look on her face. And it's the look—it's the look that the Roadrunner has on his face just when when Wiley is charging off the cliff, you know? <laughs> right? But she—but she had finally gotten me on board, you know, and cooperating with her. And she didn't want to kill my my newborn enthusiasm, so she just kind of looked at me with this expression that was just like this this deadpan expression that I, I, I now realized she was trying not to laugh at me <laughs> and, because I was never going to sell a twenty book series to anybody. She looked at me and says, "Well, you know, I think if you get a uh, a, a book, tw- a, a, a series going. It's twenty books long. Yeah, that should be fine. You know, <laughs> just, just complete dead cat, I mean, just no, no inflection whatsoever. It was amazing. In, in looking back at it. Oh my gosh! Uh, but actually, uh,
1: that that actually helped, right? Because in your story about finally getting published, it helped that you had three books already written.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd already had two, yeah, I'd already had them done, and they were like, they read the first one and were like, well, we're not going to have to work real hard on this or waste a bunch of time on this guy, so that makes him an ideal newbie. <laughs> you know, we'll, just throw him, we'll just throw him in, and we'll throw him into the deep end and see if he sinks. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and as it turned out, you know, as it turned out, I didn't, that uh, uh, there was an audience for it. Uh, uh, it sort of surprised me when it finally happened, um, because for the first couple of years, I would show up to signings and readings, and I would be the only one there. You know, and that was just kind of how it went. Uh, that, that's sort of how you pay your dues when you're getting, even after you get published, you know, you've still got to pay humiliation dues because you show up to things like that and nobody's there.
0: Right. Uh, uh,
3: and, but look at you year, now.
2: Yeah, uh, I know. It was, it was, it was, it's, it, it shocks me too. Um because uh, I was just startled by it. I, I, I still remember the first time I was going to a panel at Dragon Con, and they said, we want to have a Jim Butcher panel, and I was like, okay, well, here's some more humiliation, but I guess I'm paying my dues, you know, was sort of what I was thinking. But it's like, at least, I know nobody's going to be there, but at least I need to show up on time, and, and I'm going down the uh, escalator to this panel... And there's this hallway full of people, and I'm like, oh, my God, now I'm going to be late to this panel. And and I, I mean, I know nobody's going to be there, but I should at least be professional about it. And then I realize slowly, because I'm not all that bright about some things, that everybody in this hallway is just staring at me. And I'm like, what? Did I do something? <laughs> and they're like, are you Jim Butcher? And I'm like. Do I owe you money? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, we're, we're all here to see you. Here, let him through. It's Jim. Let him through. And I'm like, what? Didn't you people have anything better to do? And so they, I, I found myself like after four books, like kind of in this standing room only room, hosting a panel, and having no idea what to say because I've never said anything to a panel because nobody was ever there before, you know, except me or or like me and somebody that was related to me, you know. I mean, that was that was it. <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, that was the first time I realized that oh my gosh, somebody's actually paying attention. I think that was right after that's summer awesome. nineteen Right. Oh, that's
0: huh. great.
1: That's great. So but, uh, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a road. It's been a journey.
2: It has, yeah. My journey would have been considerably shorter if, uh, if I'd been a little bit less full of myself after getting my English degree. <laughs> and uh, uh and, and if somebody had clubbed me on the head and told me, Just shut up and listen to your teacher, she knows what she's talking about.
0: <clears throat> well though it's it's get a, a get common a, get failing, you know. I was going to say it's really hard for you know English majors not to be you know entirely full of themselves. I can I can say from experience uh, uh, this is uh, a very common failing of English majors. You know,
4: I can um. I can confirm this generalizes beyond English majors to <laughs> computer science majors as well. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, okay, that's good to know. May well be it's, a universal human trait. It's the
1: thinking you know something, you know. I yes, mean My so. uh, my. Uh, Eventually, my theme song became the Bob Dylan, you know, one of, of I was so much older then, I'm younger than, than that now, you
3: know, because <laughs> when I was
1: just out of college, I, I knew it all, and now I know nothing.
2: Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. I, 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 one of the I, things
1: that I, I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to inform Jim about was our frame narrative that we're doing, at least for season oh, one. Oh, yes.
4: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, we, we were um, trying to figure out, you know, we took, I mean, we're even doing the I, I Knew Linda Lane. We're not just doing it in one you know, it's like over, not, well, the whole, I know I guess is the first thing, but the whole thing about the, the valor coming to Arda and doing all their thing. I mean, that's, that's actually spanning what, two, three episodes. Um, so it's like, how do you do that? You know, how do you do that in a way that's, uh, even in a, even in a fantasy world, how do you do that? And, uh, what we're doing is a frame narrative this season of, uh, young Estelle being tutored by Elrond and his mother, Gil Ryan being a little bit, um, in conflict herself about not being sure that she wants her son to be, you know, she wants to make sure her, her son doesn't get too totally swayed by the elves. So that's kind of, Estelle will be our, sort of, the person that would be asking the questions that many Silmarillion readers ask when they read the books. Oh, yeah, so you're we're gonna que- be having that be our...
0: questioning the elven narrative. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. so we'll get. Uh,
1: and then we don't even necessarily. I mean, it's an insight. It, any, anybody who's read Tolkien will know who Estelle is, but we don't really. Wouldn't we decide to do that at the end of se- season at one? At the end of right? season one, I think, yeah. 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 So. We're, we're we're putting in what Christopher Tolkien said he was sorry he didn't do not necessarily a particular narrative but a frame narrative was what Christopher Tolkien was sorry he didn't do with the Silmarillion so we're correcting that that's and by right. the way we have already been we've already been um, accused by our listeners of being studio execs
0: <laughs> that's right we're Nice! Like, exactly that's a fun place to be i think <laughs>
1: Well, gosh, we should probably wind it down. I we've was thinking so
0: too. A... Yes, we've kept you for a really long time. Thanks. It's been what? really Let's fun chatting going. with you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Dave's in California, so you know it's uh, uh, it's still it's early only out there. 30. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, so so
4: um, uh, one, one sort of just like like kind of more general thing I wanted to to run by you, Jim. Um, I found a. I'm not exactly sure where this quote came from, but I know I know you, you, you touch on this in um, in Dresden Files. Just sort of this idea of the you know like like the um, the ambiguity sometimes between evil and stupid. And how dangerous is, <laughs> and how stupid is often much more dangerous than evil and I kind of well, want I kind of want to give you a chance to, to, to get on your soapbox about that
2: oh uh, it's certainly a hell of a lot more common that's for sure yeah, yeah. Um, no I, I think that I think that I think that so much of the uh, of the conflict that happens is it, it's really it's, it's not necessarily between good and evil it's, it's between stupid and, and maybe a little less stupid Um Uh, I I hesitate to make any particular claims towards wisdom or intelligence for myself uh, uh, after many, many life lessons that have shown me that I I don't appear to be very good at either one of those. Um, But, uh, uh, but yeah, I I don't have much of a soapbox other other than to say that. Uh, There's a tendency to declare things evil, and for the most part, it really, uh, I, I try never to ascribe to malice what can be adequately explained by stupidity. It makes life so much simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, uh, just because, just because, uh, it, it makes it makes things, it makes it much easier to forgive. It's like somebody was stupid. Okay, uh, somebody was stupid. That's that's. Uh, uh, yeah, I I can look over that because we're all dumb once in a while. Uh, uh, it, it's it's much easier to live with that than than so and so was evil. He he honestly did this to come out and try and hurt me. Yeah, most of the time, people don't do that. Most of the time, people are stupid. Uh, uh, you can get over stupid eventually. I mean, if you work at it diligently enough, you can mostly get over stupid. Uh, that's something that I encourage everybody to try and do with themselves, is to try and uh, try and overcome the stupid <laughs> in their own lives. Uh, I, I really think that would be so much more <laughs> much more useful to us than overcoming the evil in our own lives, uh, is to overcome the stupid, because it's so much more common. I am going to have and, to be on the friction and- trip so many. For, me to, uh, for me to get over
1: stupid, I'm, I'm going to have to live a thousand years for me to get over stupid.
2: <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, you know that's coming up. Uh, uh, I, I guess. The, I, I guess the question of that is, to see, you know, whether we're whether we're you know, works intelligent enough to, to to maybe you know actually do this this long lived thing, but are uh, are we too stupid enough to follow through with it? You know, are we yeah. ready for that?
0: Right. <laughs> yes. That's really good
2: question. <clears throat> uh, uh, but anyway. Uh, um, but yeah I, I, on the other hand maybe that's one of the things that'll help us get out of this cycle of stupid um, you know maybe if we've lived long enough to be able to see these patterns we won't keep repeating them the way we always do I mean that, that's, that's, the, that's the you know those who do not learn the lessons of history are, are doomed to repeat them and those who do learn the lessons of history are doomed to watch everyone else repeat them
3: <laughs> right
2: so <laughs> to stand by helplessly while everybody runs into the exact same problem over and over again you know so over and
1: over again yeah no. Yeah, maybe having the long life would give us more at stake. Or so. at
2: least lengthen the cycle of dumb, you know, to something a little <laughs> yeah, less frequent.
1: That's <laughs> more yeah. likely, actually. Yeah, yeah. Later, Or I, sine I, wave will I'm just smart. flatten out more. Yeah,
2: yeah well, yeah, yeah well, I mean, after all, it didn't really seem to help the elves too much in the end. So
1: <laughs> no, That's true. <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> the long no let's is, yeah.
2: let's just keep everything exactly the same good plan guys <laughs> <laughs> but hey uh, but i, I want to thank you all for having me on board tonight
0: no, thanks oh thanks for coming great. we've been really so we really uh really excited to uh uh to talk with you i mean i was you know saying earlier ever since uh Ever since I read the, the 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 Tolkien references in the Dresden Files, I've been I've been really interested to talk with you. Your, your uh, oh, thank you very much. Your thank you. Tolkien references immediately passed you know, muster of, you know, this is not just, you know, a, a, a casual pop culture reference, you know, this is clearly the, (laughs) these are clearly the, I mean, and I have to tell you, it just absolutely warmed my heart, you know, when, uh, when, when, when Sonya and Harry have that conversation about, uh, about, about Sam being the true hero of the Lord of the Rings, I was. Yes, uh, Sam was the, he was the one who got, who got everything done. Absolutely. No, I've been, and, arg- like I've been arguing. Hero, that.
2: He never stood up and took credit for it. You know, he just went back and did his thing. Absolutely,
0: Which makes him
4: even more of a hero.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Did you know, by the way, that Tolkien always... said that? Really, I did not know that. He did in oh, one of his letters. In one of his letters, he called he called uh, he called Sam the the chief hero of the of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah, he got he got done the, the important stuff that needed to get done.
2: That's for, absolutely, sure. absolutely. I mean, for the most part Aragorn and everybody ran around uh, holding the spears for for the you know for the hobbits to get things done. <laughs> that's oh right. Oh my
0: gosh, Aragorn were, and and
2: company were the people in the MMORPG. Is that who they were? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, they're the extras. <laughs> <That's
3: right>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. I I'm I'm claiming I'm claiming good guest points for that callback right there. <laughs> may, yeah,
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That was good. Well, we should we should let you go. We have one more prize
0: drawing. Yes, you, we so should. We That's right. Don't had, uh, excellent. Our 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 final our That's second right. and final winner for the evening is Gerald Michael. Congratulations, Gerald. You two oh, okay. can choose one of those three uh, choices. Let us know. Send an email to info at org. Let us know, uh, and you, please uh, let us know your mailing address also, and uh, we will send you your your gift of choice. Congratulations, and also.
1: But don't forget, our sub goal on the fundraiser is every two thousand raised in the name of the Film Film Project, we will bring a special guest in um, to talk adaptation in some way. So, um, if you enjoyed tonight, I don't, you know, I'm, we're not promising a Jim Butcher caliber person, but you know, <laughs> someone, someone good. Do our best. Um, but uh, we'll do our best. Yeah. Excellent.
4: Um, all right. Jim, do you uh, do you have any sort of before we go? Do you have any um, any like? Travel, you want to tell us about? Um, I mean, we know, of course, Cinder Spires is out, and everybody should go buy that and
2: read it, of course. And yeah, then I, I just Talks got done with the signing for that, and I'm going to go actually uh, tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm on a plane to go back home, and I am going to hermit up in my hobbit hole and uh, uh, write the next Dresden file. So, oh, that's great. Good. Oh, awesome.
1: Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, Yay. yeah I, I
2: need to get that done so that we can get it out by next spring. And that, that, that's, that's what I'm Excellent. hoping. Okay. Next
0: well, spring we'll is the
2: goal it. for that? No, my goal is to have is to turn it in by Christmas. Okay, uh, and then and then hopefully we'll be able to go through a publishing cycle and have it out next spring.
4: Great, sweet, great, yay! We'll be we'll be we'll we'll all begin our rereads now. I
0: was going to say yeah, that that helps me figure out (laughs) when I need to start rereading Stormfront so I can get there in time. Okay, okay. (laughs) Well, you know this one. uh, Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. I was
2: just going to say, this one is, is called Peace Talks, and uh, we're getting together all the supernatural nations in Chicago so that they can, they can discuss this uh, uh, this issue they have with the FOMOR uh, causing all, all this disruption. And um, basically, they're going to get together, and uh, they're going to have a nice talk and some dinner and, uh, you know, share a couple of beers and sing some songs and I'm sure everything will work out just fine. Yeah, it'll
0: probably yeah. be peaceful and uh, uneventful, uh, 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 and yeah, 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 yeah. everything and go no, according no, to plan.
1: Prepare you to have to deal with. will just sit on the side and just you know, you know,
2: know I, I, I like to, to throw you guys path. curveballs once in a while. I don't want you, I
3: don't want you to, <laughs> <I don't laughs> want you to guess what's that coming. Would
4: be, that would be fantastic, by the way, if you just put out a novel that was just most. They would just cover the proceedings of the conference and then end it. Right. Right, yeah, yeah, there you
0: go. And in every chapter, Harry suspects that something is just about to to happen. You know, it always looks like things are on the verge of falling apart, but they never actually do. Actually, it it ends up being fine.
2: It's actually, yeah, a good time had by all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, we can't wait! Yeah. Oh yeah. I,
0: I, I would I be
2: strangled by my audience if I did that. But Absolutely. Thank
0: you very much. Yes. The uh, the 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 immortal last line would be: Thanks. I think that was a productive meeting.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Motion passes. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not a bruise that on That's be, right. Yeah. Right? That
2: no concussions. <laughs> no concussions. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be like letting Sean Bean live. It just
0: can't happen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's
1: right. <sighs> it's a law of nature. That's right. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Beyond my control. Okay. Well, I
1: look forward. To, I look forward to reading those proceedings. That's great. <laughs> okay. To start that rumor. We're
0: going to start that rumor. That's right. Jim basement. confirmed. He, he absolutely confirmed uh, to right. us that this is what was going to happen. So, On yeah. air. You can, you can take it to the bank.
2: I was an unreliable narrator. Go right ahead. <laughs> well, we yes. got, oh, that's right. No problem.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All
1: right. Well, we'll let you go to get ready for your trip back to your hobbit hole tomorrow, and thanks so much. Oh, and, uh,
4: congratulations, by the way, Jim. Oh oh, yes, yeah. You know, on the engagement, so I hear. Oh yeah, yeah, that engagement
0: thing. I was just glad I didn't fall off the horse. (laughs) (laughs) And how many things in life can we say that about? I'm just glad I didn't fall off the horse. I'm just glad I didn't
2: fall off the horse. Yeah, I guess
0: you can't say that about everything. Yeah, not everything, but you know, yeah. That's no, no. There was there was a white horse and shining armor and so on. So excellent, excellent. Oh my
3: goodness. Well, you got a lot on your
2: plate.
4: Good luck finishing the book. (laughs) Thank you very
0: much, guys. Very good. Good Thanks for coming.
1: Take care. All right. Good night. Good night.